OTB Sports Rugby. Some of the hype around Jack Crowley has been premature. He's played pretty well, but having him as the second coming of Christ seems to be a little bit aggressive. Subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. All right, very welcome along. It's Monday morning. Uh, we are bright-eyed and bushy-tailed here, and we'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch on youtube.com forward slash off the ball. Just leave a comment on the live stream. You can tweet us at AM, or of course you can always text or WhatsApp us on 0879-180-180. That's the number. Shane, how are you? Good morning, Jared. Good morning, everyone. Uh, any crack? Very little, eh? It was, a, it was a busy weekend sport. I think you'll agree. Yeah. It's tough to follow everything, but um, we tried. We, well, we're going to do our best to pretend we did at least for the next two and a half hours. <laughs> well, that's, that's our job, I suppose. Yeah, you're in the... Uh, you're Are you watching Roy Keane and Tommy Tiernan? I, I didn't watch it, no. Oh, uh, brilliant. Oh, was it? Uh, well, you're saying it's brilliant. Go for it. Yeah, well, a lot of people online weren't happy, but... Um, you tell me what you thought. There were awkward pauses, uh, which Tommy Tiernan tends to do, but um, very often Roy Keane would be the one to, to give first and, and, and start talking again, which I found interesting. I thought the two of them would just sit there for 30 seconds staring at each other. Uh, but no, I, I found it interesting. Uh, he was a bit reticent to talk about his first date with his wife but it emerged it was a brilliant story in the end um, for anyone who hasn't heard of it I don't really want to spoil it but I will uh, he picked her up uh, he said it's the only date he's been on with his, with his wife Teresa uh, picked her up in Nottingham at the city ground uh, said do you want to go to the pictures you know, nice handy date you don't have to talk too much and uh, she said no he said well, alright so do you want to go for a drink she said no so he just spun around for 10 or 15 minutes back to the car said, what are you? she was like what are you doing she was like, well, you don't want to go to the pictures, you don't want to go for a drink, so what else can we do? So she got out, slammed the door, and uh, he says, I'll, I'll maybe see you next week. She says, no, nah, I don't think so. And I think they just happened to, to meet again in a, on a night out in Nottingham, and the rest is history. They're still married. I was wondering how, what the, uh, how they rekindled. I mean, a very patient woman, you'd have to say. <laughs> I mean, fair play to her. Uh, yeah, he was obviously had the little Roy Keane smirk on his face as he was telling the story. Because um, this, this is at Nottingham. Right, yeah. It's at Manchester United that all the nights out that end up in the cells happen. Like, yeah, but he did say that he even in Nottingham he was he was always because he was asked about his interest in women back then, and he said he wasn't really one to. He wasn't on the scene like that. He was just he liked to go to the pub with the lads and have pints. And getting fights, and getting fights to potentially, yeah. So that was right. Well, that, that's what it's all well documented in all the books. Yeah, yeah. So um, he's a changed man, obviously. I find it an interesting interview. So I spent my, my weekend watching. I was watching Prince Harry last night, of course, as well. The big interview at night. Oh, yeah. And like very surprising to most people out there that I would be watching Prince Harry, but uh, my my mum and sisters were quite keen to watch. You're, it. you're very quick to blame the mum and sisters for yeah. anything like that. Well, you, I, you and your dad, on the other hand, were in the other room watching the football. <laughs> Here, if he says anything good, tell us about it. To be honest, I wouldn't have even known the interview was on. Uh, oh yeah, without the sisters and and the mother saying it at nine o'clock. Let's turn on the uh, the channel and watch it. Um, that was interesting, you know. And I like Harry too because he's kind of sticking it to the monarchy anyway. So. Well, you're you're definitely a team Harry. Team Harry for sure. Team Harry and Meghan. Yeah, um, but yeah, it was an interesting chat as well. Got into plenty of deep dark. Um, His frostbitten Mickey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His frostbitten Mickey. Uh, the book. I, I mean, talk about a revealing autobiography. I haven't read it, but clearly the excerpts. You know, <laughs> well, this guy has not held anything back here. Well, maybe maybe you'd hope that there's a little bit for uh, the next the paperback. Isn't True. It? There's always an extra few chapters. Yeah. Uh, like honestly, I'm surprised that you were watching it. I, I, yeah, so am I. Yeah, to be honest. Uh, but now you're now you're sucked in. 
No, not at all. My mum... Tr- you say that now, but like you're going to be following every headline going, oh, I know a little bit about this. <laughs> they were trying to get, get me to watch The Crown and they're like, no, 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 it's not, it's not, it's not pro the monarchy. It's, it's very historical based. But I'm like, I could spend my time watching something else. I'm with you, Shane. Yeah. I'm with you. I just couldn't be arsed, do you know? All right. Uh, big revelation. So, because uh, everybody on my timeline and in my various WhatsApp groups were like, ah, oh, this was terrible, the Tommy Taylor and Roy King thing, but you thought it was good. Yeah, I thought it was good. Um, mostly sports-based. His, uh, his take on the Alf, uh, Alfie and Haaland thing was fascinating. Uh, more so in what he didn't say. He was like, um, well, Tommy was basically saying, this, did it end his career or it was a serious injury? And Roy said, well, he played, he played three days later for Norway. So, um, make of that what you will. And kind of left a lovely awkward pause sitting there as Tommy just stared at him. Um, so yeah, clearly Roy doesn't follow the uh, the Halland myths like the rest of us do. He says there's about thirty different stories to the Halland thing, and um, yeah, there's only one truth. Yeah, well, well, I mean, hang on. In fairness, though, his truth was that he uh, he let Eamon Dunphy take the blame for artistic license mm. in the second. Is that the second book? Is yeah. The first book? Is the first, three books? Yeah, he, no, it was the first book. Yeah, that was artistic license and. Um, that's and then, then they'd have fallen out over that, didn't they? 100%. Well, he did, he did say during the, the Tommy Tiernan interview as well that he regretted the book with Eamon Dunphy. He said he enjoyed it because he would you know, have to go over every couple of weeks and, or Eamon would come to Manchester or Roy would go to, to Dublin to meet with Eamon. And he said he shouldn't have written a book while he was still a player. Like, you should, you know, he talks in, in punditry about distractions for players nowadays. He shouldn't have written a book while he was still a player. And he probably regrets that. The FA come down on him hard for the Highland stuff in the book. Um, At the time, it was like the fastest selling book in... Irish history yeah crazy like, so he made a fortune off it you can't regret it that much you know, you know I mean the Roddy Doyle one was more of a let's relax and go on the, the book promotion well, settle scores let's settle scores <laughs> yeah. right it's 7.35 we've got to get into this if you have views on any of that stuff um, particularly uh, we're into your uh, thoughts on uh, Harry versus the royal family I'm only joking but whatever you want uh, you can leave a comment in the YouTube stream our performance rankings are imminent Alan Quinlan's going to join us at 5 past 8 to look back on a busy weekend of rugby some big stories uh, Owen Farrell's tackle um, looks like Munster are going to sign a South African hooker uh, sports news coming your way at 8.35 we'll play a roundup of all of the weekend's GAA interviews we've got Kieran McCormick at 8.50 who's returning to the League of Ireland Graham Hunter's going to join us at 10 past 9 to talk about uh, Gianluca Vialli and loads more besides including Barcelona beating Atletico last night and a few clips in the pay-per-view at 9.30 this morning but at 7.36 it is time for the Gillette Labs performance rankings you know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on their second-half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head. Our performances have just lacked that intensity. Boom. All right. Straight into it. Start with the red. Um, FA Cup weekend. I think the magic of the Cup was was there for all to see. We'll start maybe with uh, with Chelsea first. It wasn't very magical yesterday evening for them. 4-0 defeat to Manchester City. Um, some of the puns going around in the office this morning, Ger, uh, related to Graham Potter and, of course, his uh, his namesake, Harry Potter. Um, so there were a few magical puns doing the trick. Phil Egan's effort was Potter in serious trouble. Serious, of course, being Sirius Black, Harry Potter's uncle in the movie and book franchise. Um, Cameron's effort, I think, was Harry Potter and the Half Baked Blue or Graham Potter and the Half Baked Blues. Of course, Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince being one of the books. Um, and then, of course, Tommy Tuchel being He Who Shall Not Be Named. Tommy Tuchel and, and Voldemort having, having that in common. Um, and the Chelsea fans were singing about Tommy Tuchel yesterday in the stands as Graham Potter had to sit there and listen. It was a bit awkward. Um, but the performance from Chelsea, regardless of the result, clearly a 4-0 defeat is not good uh, any time, but it just wasn't a great performance whatsoever. They're out of the cup now. 
uh, it would have been nice for them to have a little bit of a cup run to distract them from the fact that they're what tenth in the Premier League, ten points off the Champions League spots. Pep Guardiola came out after the the match yesterday evening and was very defensive of Graham Potter. Said uh, stick with them. Um, it takes time for for managers to build these teams. Um, he spoke about the time he was given time at Barcelona, but he had of course um, a little man called Messi in that team, so it was maybe a little bit easier for Pep Guardiola. Uh, but roundly booed. Uh, the Chelsea players and Potter of course at half time and for the the, man, the, player, the fans that were still there at full time because let's be honest a lot of them had left to try and get the, the train back um, but yeah it was just it, there was even sarca- sarcasm from the fans yesterday if anyone was watching the game you could hear the echoes of shoot um, because they just wanted even shots the Chelsea fans they weren't getting anything in the match last night uh, City were too good for them um, this was a City without with their main men Haaland included so You'd be concerned if you were Graham Potter. In front of the, uh, the Indo sports section, Curse of Chelsea now haunts Potter. And that's basically the headline on Eamon Sweeney's piece. The Harry Potter um, link. No uh, Bowley makes bad situation far worse at the bridge. He's blaming Todd Bowley for coming in and appointing Graham Potter. Uh, Potter's appointment was celebrated in some quarters across Channel because it gave an English manager a rare opportunity at a top club. But Chelsea have been down this patriotically minded route before. It failed with Frank Lampard and it will fail with Potter. Sad truth is that putting an English manager in charge of an elite team is like sending Father Dougal Maguire to do a funeral. Chelsea's current manager is doomed, as doomed as a teenager in a slasher movie who volunteers to go outside and check the noise coming from the woodshed. He's loving it. He's feeling himself here. Like Moyes at United and Nuno at Spurs, there's no prospect of this appointment ending in success. The only question is, when will the axe fall? Bowley should take Macbeth's advice. If it were done, when it is done, then for well it were done quickly. Uh, so I like that I like the Father Dougal at the funeral I don't necessarily agree yeah. with it I don't think all English managers are always doomed forever to be as incompetent as Dougal or the teenager in the slasher movie I'm mm. not sure that their nationality is the thing that prevents them from being good managers I just want to put that on the record there for all our English viewers this morning I, just, I, and I, I don't think Potter's track record should prevent him from being the manager of Chelsea if Chelsea do have a long-term plan. That seems to be what the story is with the transfers they're making. Mm. But it's hard to discern a pattern in the transfers that they're making. It's uh, very scattergun. Yeah, yeah, and even the way Benfica have come out and claimed they were disrespectful in the whole Enzo Fernandez chase as well. Uh, is this a surprise, the whole Graham Potter thing? Like, when he joined from Brighton, were we all not like, well, this, this could go very badly? This, like... Things are going well at Brighton. You could stay there and continue a, a great job. Yes, it's very, very hard to turn down a job from the big six, I guess, in, uh, in Chelsea being one of them. So I understand why Graham Potter took the Chelsea job. Uh, but in hindsight, because a lot of Chelsea fans didn't really want Tommy Tuchel to be sacked. So it, it was a poison chalice to some degree. Um, I honestly thought Potter would be up to it. It's a poison golden chalice that gives gold coins out. Little ducats, little gold ducats every day. That adds day the pressure, life. though. For the rest of your life, but like he can, I presume he negotiated a, a relatively good contract because it's a very long-term contract, right? And so, therefore, like you can't turn down. You win the lottery when you when you get this job, mm. and he can go off and work for the FA if he needs to as an underage manager at some point. Like there's there's loads of routes for him to parlay this experience into something uh, good and better afterwards. I mean, I, I like I, I'm, I'm not sure about the point there about English managers not being fit to. 
No, I, I, I think that... Like, I mean, we, at the same time, it is interesting that this football culture has yet to produce a slew of brilliant, progressive young managers. Maybe Eddie Howe is going to book the trend. Yeah, then, is Gareth Southgate not one as well? Is he? What, bringing England to a European Championship final? Two World Cup? Bringing one the, World Cup semi-final, sorry. Bringing the country with the most registered footballers to a position where they're competitive in international tournaments? I, I mean, I, I think until Southgate proves that he's a brilliant manager and win something I, I hate to be was a penalty scoreboard from winning the European Championship journalism only you know but like but the team didn't play brilliantly did they across the course of that like has he managed to unlock this uh, gifted generation practically performing in all the big games I don't know He's. I'd say Southgate is good not great mm. and uh, grand right at this stage uh, Eddie Howe has the potential to be really good I think uh, yeah. I don't think um, his Englishness is preventing him I think Potter's circuitous route to get to the Brighton job uh, proves that he's he's got an interesting take on things, and if he if he was a an international manager coming from a different culture, everybody would be like, oh wow, look at look at what he did. He went off and studied things that were separate to what he was doing. So you know you can you can carve this any way you want. Like uh, the injury profile of the the team at the moment is really bad. Uh, if they get some of those players back, if if Todd Bowley is too shamed to sack him, then maybe he'll have an opportunity over the next four months to try and turn things around and we'll see next season uh, if if Potter is still there after they've spent another quarter of a billion in the transfer window in the summer what the truth is about Chelsea I think uh, you've also included Aston Villa here I mean that's just uh, we got to throw it in Jer contributing <clears throat> to the magic of the cup Take, anyone... taking one for Team FA Cup there lads <laughs> uh, when the draw I actually I, I saw on Twitter ah, come on don't I, I saw on Twitter that the draw was made for the fourth round and I was like oh, yeah. fill our truth to the fifth round of the FA Cup this is great beat Stevenish today go to Stoke no problems and then fifth round of the FA Cup that'll feel like a big game that'll be great so <laughs> if I was as uh, complacent as that then presumably when Villa when Villa saw the team that was named they were like oh we're, we're just going to show up and batter these today aren't we yeah and that, like, for anyone who's uh, the, the eagle-eyed OTB AM viewers this morning will notice Jerry is donning his claret and blue Perhaps by accident this morning, perhaps in Getting support. Getting dressed in the dark. Exactly. Um, but, I mean, it's just not good, is it? Villa brought some of the big guns off the bench. They had a, a strongish starting oh, team Oh, they well. finished with, like, fairly close to... Uh, Perfect team. Well, you know, maybe if they pick the goalkeeper who needs game time. Do you know what I think Villa need? Harry Maguire. Yeah. <laughs> potentially. Yeah. These rumours have been doing the rounds of the weekend. Um, Doesn't seem to be any truth to them. No, there's there's no truth in them. No. We, we do not have Harry Maguire at Aston Villa, So, should, should we help... A massive club make up for their mistake by saddling ourselves with the wages that they have overpaid this guy who is nowhere near worth what they paid for him. Yeah, that's a great idea. But it's oh, no, just been exactly the same with Philip Coutinho. How's that working out? <laughs> His transfer fee will be drastically reduced. I mean, sure. I mean you wouldn't. You presumably, wouldn't be it's on loan. It, there's, yeah. and there's no fee because if there is, you're like, okay, stupidity here. Like. Uh, Villa need to be looking at what Brighton are doing and what that tier of clubs who have good successful recruitment where they're buying directly from South America or they're buying directly from second tier Spanish and Portuguese football and they're giving players game time and then those players are becoming seasoned internationals and then they're suddenly worth 70-80 million mm. as opposed to taking second-hand cast-offs of failed players from big clubs who are already on massive wages which is what they've done they're paying Luca Dean apparently 170-180 grand a week what the hell's going on? <laughs> It's so, a bit mad, isn't it? Yeah, it is a bit mad, but it's not as it's not as mad as it's not as mad as Chelsea. These these things are not the same. Ah, uh, don't be hiding this now. These I, things I, are not the same. I thought uh, I was watching Sheffield Wednesday in Newcastle the other night and um, really enjoying it, and I was thinking this is the story that this is the story of the third round. Newcastle being knocked out, the Saudi back Newcastle being knocked out by Wednesday, and then League Two Stevenage, 
and JP Wright has said it in the YouTube comments already, watching Aston Villa implode was the magical cup moment of the weekend. This, th th this means that the FA Cup is back, here. So here's a, f here's a stat for you. A record equaling number of Premier League clubs since the league's inception in 1992 are now guaranteed to suffer early elimination in this season's competition. The Cup is back, baby. We love the FA Cup. Wolves Liverpool was another one as well. And Unai Emery is a Cup specialist. Hasn't he, hasn't he won the, the Europa League in a number of cases? I know. Well? That's exactly why I was thinking. This, this, is our, this is our route into winning the Europa League next season. <laughs> like, what were you doing? Yeah. It, 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 and apparently Emery had really been targeting this game. And I, was, I saw a dig. It was a fantastic dig from Stevenage on Twitter. So 66 minutes, Stevenage uh, Twitter account is live tweeting the match. They say 66 minutes, Philippe Coutinho comes off. The substitution took longer than usual as they had to dig him out of Luther James Wilden's back pocket. <laughs> so, I mean, Stevenage not only into the fourth round against Stoke, but uh, they're really going for it in social Look, media Villa, well. Villa are not going to be relegated, uh, which, you know, under Steven Gerrard was uh, potential and so therefore it's not a completely lost season, but it felt like a cup run was there for them. The draw was really opening up for them. Loads of good teams are going out who, you know, you would have expected maybe would have been better than Villa. Uh, in a cup and it's really bad it's it's a really big setback this early on in what has so far been a relatively straightforward and good oh it looks like there's a grown up in the room but just completely underestimated the challenge of Stevenage so that's bad but it's not as bad as Chelsea no maybe not yeah fair it, it, it is fair it's what a battery there you go so that's in the red Chelsea and Villa after uh, FA Cup exits uh, over the weekend also in the red and I'm um, getting a sense of deja vu here Chair, I don't know about you is Ulster Rugby um, not sure what to say because if you'd said before the weekend that Ulster would, would get 29 points on the board over in Italy you'd think okay that's grand they must have got a decent win but they lost 31 points to 29 uh, for Benetton uh, in the URC at the weekend Ulster's fifth loss in six games the first time the Italians have beaten an Irish province since 2017 so it'll show you the, the difficulties they've had against some of the Irish teams um, Michael Lowry had a score and penalty tries well, later on you're thinking Ulster are going to do this it's going to be fine they're going to get the result and really after the performances of late and the comments from Dan McFarlane, you're thinking, just get the result. Win this by a point or two, move on, and, and we, they can at least get a bit of hashtag momentum and uh, take it with them. But yeah, dying, dying moments of the game, Benetton awarded that penalty, Cooney caught offside, Smith accurate with the boot, game over, and a two-point defeat for Ulster. And if you look at their fixtures now, <clears throat> they have a very, very tough couple of weeks, Ulster. Back-to-back -back Champions Cup games against La Rochelle and Sale. I mean... Do you really want that after the... Will they score that's against the La Rochelle? Yeah, this is the thing. Uh, in France too, isn't it, that, that game as well? So um, the comments from, from McFarland, he probably learned from last weekend as well. He was maybe holding back a little bit. He said, we stuck in there. We're not playing as well as we can. It's not quite ticking for us as a team. Quite a few errors in the first half, similar to last week. And then he's saying the usual stuff. We need to be more productive with the ball. We're giving chances in the opposition third. And, the, uh, you know... Uh, good opposition is go are going to take those chances Benetton took enough of them to get over the line you'd imagine La Rochelle and Sale if Ulster pass up that amount of chances against those two in the next couple of weeks it's going to be hockey scores or cricket scores hockey's not that high scoring a, a sport uh, <laughs> they will be hockeyed it will be, will be hockey sport. exactly thank you, you Jeff for, for, that. for yeah, fixing me um, so yeah you'd be concerned I think um, this is full blown crisis territory yeah. this, is, this is a shambles this is very difficult this is at the end of the season where you know, you're having your end of season review and your KPIs are all there on the dashboard and someone's going, how do we do? It's like, well, you know, apart from the, the, the bit where we went to Italy, everything was okay. Because it's just very difficult to recover from this, right? Like it, and if it, if it was a one-off, you'd be like, okay, that's an aberration. But can they blame the travel chaos for this? Can they? I don't 
Is there like, uh, is there a ready-made excuse? Because we went from like, oh, it was really difficult for them because of the travel to actually there's a pattern emerging to now. Uh, I think people wanted to make excuses for them because especially the Ulster fans are like, well, this, there has to be a reason for this. The, the performances have dropped off so badly. Whatever about the results, forget about the results for a minute. The performances have dropped off so badly that the supporters must be thinking there has to be something going on behind the scenes we're not we're not aware of. Now, maybe there's a couple of injuries. Maybe the team just aren't focused at the moment. Maybe the travel chaos didn't exactly play into their hands. But you have to look at it. And maybe there's something rotten in the culture. Hundred percent. But that that's like if they lose heavily to La Rochelle and Sale, which by the way, is a distinct possibility in both games. Um, I mean, what do you do? You rarely see in rugby teams being, you know, managers being switched mid-season. It doesn't seem to happen to the same extent as football. But well, Dan McFarland seemed to be getting to grips with the problems. And so, I, I'm not, I mean, maybe, I think, I think it might be interesting to hear what he has to say. Because if he's calling the players out last week, mm. uh, I, I still don't really, really understand. So, Apparently, uh, neither Connacht nor Ulster made a play for Ben Healy. Mm. So obviously, I don't know, again, not to reopen that whole thing, but like, um, would he not have been somebody... Who are, the, who are the players who are setting the tone and setting the culture and the high-performance aspect of what Ulster rugby are trying to achieve at the moment? And if, if those players are being given um, the freedom to call everybody out who isn't matching that, then great. But if, if there's a core of players who are being protected somehow by the the coach who are responsible for what's happening, then the coach has to go. But, you know, they, they need to, I would say, have a full and frank uh, review. And it, it, the coach may be part of the solution as opposed to just expecting somebody, a messiah figure, to come in and fix what appears to be a, a rotten culture. Yeah. And, and it, look, it is statistically the worst runs uh, since Dan McFarlane took over in 2018. If you're to pick any positives out of the Benetton game it's that they came back well they were 28-15 I think down at one point in the second half came back to lead 29-28 uh, and that showed a little bit of character and Dan McFarlane referenced that after the match the problem was and then, then choked yeah the individual error then leads to a penalty for Benetton and it's game over they pick up two losing bonus points if you want to look at that as something to, to grab onto which, like the, which they should. you know they're, they're still fourth on the table yep which isn't bad Um, um and there's there's uh, the prospect of postseason, and obviously there's qualification for next season to be to be at the moment to run a form that they're on. I don't think you're backing them against anybody, are you? No, but it, it, so right, they're in such a terrible run that La Rochelle, one of the top teams in Europe. Now this might the answer to this might seem obvious, but is that the team maybe you want to play heading into a weekend like this? You're like right. Well, the pressure's off. The only hope is that La Rochelle are looking at this, going, I mean, we can put the B team out here, lads, and it's still going to be grand. Because Bit of complacency. Lads, it's Ulster. <laughs> yeah, Ulster have become the Tottenham of the URC. Uh, or worse, potentially. The performances just aren't good. Um, I'd like to see them get over the line in one of those games. Like the, the game that they won against Connacht on the 23rd of December, which a lot of people won't have seen because it was two days before Christmas, mm. um, they nearly managed to cough up um, a, a winning position in that one where uh, uh, Connacht scored two tries from the 78th minute on and miss a kick for that to be a draw mm. and if, if they hadn't had that victory then we're in full blown crisis mode but like we shouldn't let the missed kick camouflage the fact that they gave up that winning position when the game was won and it was completely over with three minutes left to go so I like 
uh, I, I, who's responsible? Is it the CEO at Ulster? Is it the IRFU further up? Like, ultimately, there's a lot of money going into that. Uh, there's really good players there, we think. Mm. We, unless we're completely wrong about the quality of those players, particularly in the back line, for example, then something has to change. Who's deciding what that culture is in Ulster Rugby at the moment and who is responsible for it? But it looks like it is rotten from the inside and something significant has to change. Yeah. So we'll talk about this with Queenie in, in a little while, but if uh, you're an Ulster Rugby fan, we'd love to hear from you because we, we're getting a lot of criticism for not doing enough on Ulster Rugby. Happy to talk about it now if you want us to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, Let's uh, be having you, as <laughs> Delia says. Uh, they'll be hoping it won't be a 39-0 against Sale the next time as well. So, uh, yeah, a lot to... And I think, look, performances will matter in those two games as well. So we'll see what happens over the next couple of weeks with Ulster in the Amber. Um, very briefly, we'll mention the, uh, the snooker, of course. Ali Pali has been completely transformed, Jer, from the darts into a snooker cauldron. So the, uh, the Masters, one of the, uh, the, the three major tournaments and the Triple Crown events along with the UK Championship and the World Championship is back and Dublin's own Sean Murphy or the shock win the Rathfarnham man <coughs> uh, of course living in Dublin now with his, uh, his Irish wife uh, big win for him yesterday evening uh, 6-4 or yesterday afternoon rather uh, in the Masters over in London um, played really well <coughs> Sean Murphy now the, the, the uh, thing I would put alongside this an asterisk is that Neil Robertson the defending champion who he beat was very sick um, if you listen to the interview with Neil Robertson afterwards he wasn't well at all. He was coughing. He was spluttering. He didn't sound good. Uh, he said he'd spent a week and a half in bed over Christmas. His wife having to take care of the kids and stuff while he got a bit of rest before this tournament. Uh, had a one four seven attempt in one of the frames, Neil Robertson, that kind of broke down. The crowd kind of spurred him on a little bit. Uh, but it wasn't enough. Sean Murphy's already won this event. He won it at the Masters in, in 2015. Breaks of 98, 53, 61 and 100. Uh, and then sealed the victory to, to, to win at 6-4. So he moves on to the next round it's only of course the top 16 players in the world in the Masters and then yesterday evening another surprise result so the two games yesterday were both surprises Hossein Vafei the Iranian player who was only brought into the Masters because of the uh, the Chinese match fixing allegations uh, beating Mark Selby six frames to two the three, t- three time Masters champion uh, so 6-2 it wasn't a it was a very one sided game two all at one point uh, but uh, the Iranian pushing on he now face either well Murphy will now face either Karen Wilson or Stuart Bingham and Vafey will play either John Higgins or Jack Lasowski in the last eight on Thursday. So, uh, first time at this event for Hossein Vafey. No stranger to the big occasion. He's, he's got the better of Selby uh, before. At the last three meetings, in fact, at Triple Crown events. So, he's a bit of a bogey player for Mark Selby. Um, I've only put Sean Murphy in the amber because big win for him. Big shock beating the defending champion. But he still has plenty more to do. He's only into the last eight. So, decided to put Sean Murphy into the amber this morning. All right. On the green? Yeah, on the green. Uh, we've got the, the club GAA. Um, not sure if I've ever said this on air, but um, Malachi Rourke is, is one of the greatest managers there's ever been uh, in any sport. Um, and if I haven't said that, I'm going I'm to put that on record right now. Uh, not to remind people, not to, to brag or anything, but, but I did say Glenn uh, would win the All-Ireland Senior Club Championship. This was in the very early stages up in Ulster. Uh, this was while Kilcoo were still hanging around with Moy Cullen uh, to come in the All-Ireland semi-finals. This Glenn team are too good. Um, and I haven't changed my mind. I actually think they will beat Kilnacud. If they play to their capabilities, I think Glenn will beat Kilnacud in the Ireland Club final. Which, look, seems remarkable because when Malachi O'Rourke took over a couple of years ago, they had never won a Derry Senior Championship. Never mind an Ulster. Never mind an All-Ireland. The man, as I said, touches gold with everything he goes near. Um, their work rate, their character yesterday against Moy Cullen was brilliant. Four points to no score after, what, ten minutes? Got out of the blocks quicker. Their midfield, uh, Conor Glass leading the way for them, as he usually does. Um, Tiernan Flanagan with the goal at the start of the second half was kind of the, the turning point for them in, 
in many ways killed off the challenge of Mike Cullen although it was only two points in it at the end of the game <clears throat> the, the, the worry for Glenn before the match was that they had a four week break after winning the Ulster title rustiness was something Malachi O'Rourke had mentioned um, but they were fairly disciplined apparently over Christmas they trained quite a bit over Christmas um, and they, were, they were vulnerable as well um, <clears throat> Mike Cullen turned them over in, the, in the, their own 45 a couple of times led to points <clears throat> or scoreable freeze so there were moments for Glenn um, and, and they kept Moy Cullen getting back to within two points but the better team I think everyone will agree won on the day and they're looking to become the first Derry club to lift the Andy Merrigan trophy since Ballandary Shamrocks back in 2002 so 21 years ago um, and in a fortnight's time is a date with Kilmacud Croaks to look forward to Kilmacud of course who would win the, the uh, Talton Cup um, looking to first of all try and win uh, an All-Ireland Senior Club uh, Championship this year of course after the, the heartache of losing to Kilcoo last year with that last last gasp goal uh, 114-14 to 14 points win over Cairns O'Reilly's David Moran who's been on the show with us Jerry was brilliant for Cairns O'Reilly's his high feeling was something to behold on the Croke Park turf but Kilmacud just had too much interestingly Paul Mannion named on the named on the bench for Kilmacud yesterday evening uh, didn't come on and uh, I heard Robbie Brennan, the Kilmacud manager, kind of talking afterwards saying, oh, we'll see, look, a couple of weeks might be too soon for him, but we'll see. Uh, what I was reading from what he was saying was, absolutely, Paul Manning will be fit. <laughs> Essentially. He'll be ready to go in two weeks. All right, you weren't having any of it. Robbie Brennan has a screensaver of Kilku celebrating on his phone. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's actually the screensaver on his phone of Kilku celebrating last year. So... Um, uh, it's a good line from Sean Moore in the Irish Times Croke's manager Robbie Brennan looked like he'd seen a ghost was last February on his mind because obviously as you say at the very last second of the game yesterday a free gets floated in to the edge of the box and um, David Moran gets his hand to it and it gets a bit of a ricochet and one of the Croke's defenders is on the line to catch the ball under his own crossbar now there was enough bodies there that it would have been like the end of all endings if they had managed to come back from the six points down that they had been uh, so I think they probably deserved to win the game Croke's yeah they did the only thing I would say about Croke's is that there were some worrying signs and maybe Croke's when Robbie Brennan will see that as a positive something to work on but well when they were six points up there was a goal chance that would have made it there's seven points up at one point with ten minutes left and uh, rather than tap it over the bar they went for the the uh, the goal that was going to kill the game and you think okay that's the killer instinct that you want in your team mm. I don't know I, I wouldn't be too um, pissed off at them going for the goal it was a good save yeah. and then all of a sudden it's like you know the ball is being sucked into the net so look uh, I'm sure uh, Glenn are delighted that you keep banging the drum for them I'm sure that they're like no no shut up Shane yeah. <laughs> shut up Just wait the text we're supposed to be under the this. radar here and you're like this is the greatest manager of all time <laughs> Well, I think he's proved it. He's, uh, he's taken Glenn to an All-Ireland final now, uh, who before this year had never... Imagine, take, imagine taking over a team at the start of a year and, and they've never won a Derry Championship and wins a Derry Championship, wins an Ulster, gets the All-Ireland final. There's no ceiling for this Glenn team. They're brilliant. Um, their age profile is very good as well. There are some worrying signs with Kilmacud in terms of not being able to kill off games, but I would say Shane Foley and the Cairns goal yesterday saved a lot of goal chances, yeah. so Kilmacud could have won by more. Yeah. Uh, but the final's going to be fascinating. Two very defensively solid teams. Shane Walsh also good at football. He's pretty decent. And he had a quiet game yesterday by his standards. Um, but any time they needed something, like yeah. he was available. He steps up. And yeah. then you, you look at Mannion coming back into the team potentially in two weeks' time. That's going to be a final for the ages, I think. So looking forward to that one. Glenn versus Kilmacud Crooks. We'll move on to the other green now for the performance rankings. Sorry, one last thing. We Sorry, want to on. do the pitch invasion there. We're going to show the... Oh, yeah, of course. Sorry, Fossa. I forgot to mention Fossa and um, the club GEA. 
Uh, so there was a false alarm first of all, and then of course the final whistle does ring. I out. think it's all over. It is now. <laughs> David Clifford, needless to say, is the uh, the man in red there as the the fans head over. I mean, Clifford making the point, speaking with Ashley after the game, that outside of Kerry, the fans aren't used to it. You know, when he's in Kerry now, maybe there's less kids than that running over to him. But this was in was it Mullingar? That was it was outside of of, of Munster anyway. So. Um, Clearly a lot of fa- uh, young, youngsters who've never got the chance to maybe see David Clifford play in person straight over to him to get the autographs and the selfies. And I don't know if kids go for autographs or selfies now or Both. ask for Or maybe they just try and get a glove or something off him, do they? Or all, all of the above. Jersey. Yeah, give us your jersey there. Um, so, uh, yeah, a, a great performance. Um, Polly Clifford was brilliant. And Fossa were just dominant against Castletown and they go on to play Stewartstown now and I did see somebody on Twitter go is this the first time there's been a, a proper superstar in GA I've never seen this before I'm like really this happens this has been happening my entire life yeah it's a generational thing isn't it yeah it happens all the time yeah Gooch Cooper was one well I, I remember queuing for Jack O'Shea's uh, the All-Stars played um, two challenge matches hurling in football in Thurless as a fundraiser in the 80s and I remember queuing for ages for Jack O'Shea's autograph like he was your one well, or whoever, whoever, you know. I understand like, how those young kids feel. Like those young kids look run on the pitch. I remember meeting Michael Donlan when I was a kid, and um, like a Monaghan man, but dad from Dunmore in, in Galway. And Donlan, I was just off that age in '98 and '01 where I was <clears throat> susceptible to. Ah, well, Donlan was like a, an absolute superstar. Where there was just this kind of this guy can do stuff we've never seen before. But, but like as a kid, yeah, you know. Whereas <laughs> like older generations, are like ah, there was a fella who did the same thing in the I know. 70s and 80s and that's just how it goes it's always people looking so, back but this, this isn't what well, I'm saying this isn't new and it's great that's all 100% I remember meeting Donlan in Healy Park in Oma after Galway Throne League game in 03 or 04 I think and I, I nearly fainted like <laughs> meeting this man in person I was like oh my god what did you say to him I, can you sign my programme there was a lovely photograph of, of Donlan in the programme and he was right. almost embarrassed if you've ever met Michael he's a, quite a shy guy but um, I can understand the David Clifford mania so yeah Fossa Stewartstown is a big one in the junior final, by the way. Stewartstown, um, is it Gareth Devlin, I think, is the, the, old, the old guy on that team? Um, he's a bit of a veteran, scored 1 6 of their 1 14 against Clifton in their semi final yesterday. They, were, they have been intermediate recently enough in the Tyrone Championship, so that Fossa Stewartstown game again uh, is a big one. So looking forward to these club finals. They're, uh, they're set up quite nicely. Uh, finally, in green this morning, and I think rightly so, uh, we started with the FA Cup and we'll finish with the FA Cup. The Irish in the FA Cup. Um, Getting good headlines. The, the, the Wolves-Liverpool game, I think, is one where we, we should mention. Um, really good performance by Nathan Collins. Albeit he, he had one clearance kind of across the pitch that was passed directly to Trent Alexander-Arnold, which led to the Darwin Nunez goal. Couldn't have done a whole pile about it. He is man of the match. Yeah. Deservedly so. Uh, and Joe Hodge as well. I know someone who stood out for you, Ger. Um, just a, a solid performance from a lot of Irish players at the weekend. You, you saw uh, Promise Omashera scoring the goal for, for Fleetwood Town. Uh, in, in a bit of an upset win for them as well um, they beat be QPR QPR apparently have the worst record of any team in the FA Cup third round which is quite a stat um, but uh, a big big one for them um, and that they're Fleetwood now beyond the third round for the first time in their history former youth international promise on a share as well Shane Long really in the years Shane Long I mean and then the draw they're going to uh, Old Trafford yeah that's going to be decent yeah Paul Ince isn't it in charge of, yeah. of Reading as well so there's a few a few strands to that one um, the draw I think City fans and Arsenal fans have been looking at the draw going ah no obviously Arsenal have to get past Oldham tonight but um, the winner of Arsenal Oldham plays Man City in, in the, uh, the fourth round so uh, City will have had probably had to have get, got past 
Chelsea and Arsenal to make the fifth round of the cup, which is quite extraordinary. Um, but yeah, Jason Knight scored. Jason Knight uh, scored. James Collins scored as well for for Derby. There was loads of good. Uh, the FA Cup was an opportunity for a lot of Irish players. You kind of felt like maybe it might be an opportunity for Cuevin Keller. Yeah, a lot of conversation in the aftermath of the fact that he wasn't getting in the team for the cup. Is something changed? Is it just they needed the extra game time? They wanted some confidence in the defence. What's going on? Why wasn't he playing? Very surprised. And whether or not that will lead to some conversations in January for him, I don't think it will. He seems happy enough uh, being part of that first-team squad as opposed to playing first-team football at the moment. But a uh, good win for Southampton in the Cup, an opportunity for them to, um, you know, maybe Zuna cast, well, cast off the shackles, well. made some big saves, was, was the report that I read as well. So, yeah, not bad. Uh, Irish players in the Cup in green. Maybe we're reaching, you get to decide... It's the Gillette Labs performance rankings every Monday. We uh, put a, a box up on Sunday evening on Instagram. But in the meantime, of course, you can tweet us at Off the Ball AM if there's anybody you think should be in green, in amber, or in red. OTBAM's performance rankings with Gillette. Fergus Kyo wants to know Christ Almighty, is there no place to go to avoid this stupid British royal family nonsense? Turns out nowhere is safe, not even the living rooms of Monaghan. Fergus, uh, by the way, just put on the record, I'm, I'm not a fan of the royal family, I'm not, I'm not supporting um, monarchism uh, in any stretch or way of the imagination. I was forced to watch the interview last oh, night, yeah. which yeah. I did for pop cultural reasons. Like, uh, <laughs> uh, Good morning all out there, is today the most miserable day of the year or is that next week, asks Shifty Lad. I think, is it not the Tuesday, oh. the Monday? Uh, is it not a blue Monday? Is it a Monday? I don't know. When it surely was last Monday. week, no? We're always a week behind. Uh, coming up after the break, Alan Quinlan. First, though, you're going to hear from uh, David Clifford after Fossil's win. David Clifford, congratulations. Through to the All Ireland final with Fossa. How does it feel? Uh, it's brilliant, yeah. Um, look, I suppose the, uh, the semi final is a game where it's probably probably the cagiest game you can play in any competition, but especially here then with the, with the prize of getting to Crow Park. Um, so, no, it's great to get over the line. And what was it like out there today? It was seven points, you were up at half-time, but there was a very strong breeze out there, so you did take advantage of it in that first half, but you sort of did as well at the start of the second with Paddy getting that goal. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like we, we, not that we, thought, we, we, we didn't think we were out of, out of, the, out of the woods by any means at half-time. Um, probably, really in fairness, we came out in the first five minutes really strong and um, probably put the game to bed then, which was... You know, it's a strange feeling then in games. You can get a bit flat and stuff like that. But uh, thank you, we finished. We finished the game well again. And I was speaking to your manager Adrian there, and he was just saying that you went away for the first time last night, to, obviously for the game. But it was your first night away as a team together. And he said, you know, it's funny that almost brings you closer together as a team. A hundred percent. Sure, especially for, I suppose from myself and Paulie's point of view, we would have been only kind of coming and going from Fossil the last few years. So to get a bit of time like this together with the, with, with the lads who we would have grown up with is um, that's brilliant. It's, it's special. Like. And obviously winning the All-Ireland this year, Footballer of the Year, you've had quite the year. I'm not going to go through everything that you won, <laughs> but obviously you're on track to, to win a club All-Ireland, obviously one game to go. But what does it feel like, I suppose, with your club? Is it extra special? Uh, it is, definitely, yeah. Um, obviously, look, the, the Kerry stuff is, um, is what, you, you know, what you always look to do when you're growing up. Um, whereas with Fossa, like, it was probably days we were questioning maybe whether this would ever happen first because the Kerry Championship is so, is so strong. Um, so now, you know, as I said, it's special and I suppose it'll be all undone is the only thing if we don't get over the line next week so um, everything knows is riding on that one OTB AM yeah just a reminder of course that uh, David Clifford is 23 he will be 24 this month <laughs> ah here lads we could have another 10 years of this level of achievement leave it out hopefully like. if we're lucky if we're lucky yeah of course uh, touch wood that injuries will prevent him um, 
it won't prevent them from reaching those uh, heady heights. Nine minutes past eight this morning. We'd love to hear from you. 0879180180 is the WhatsApp number. You can uh, leave a comment on the YouTube stream. You can tweet us at Off the Ball AM. Uh, Alan Quinlan is with us. Alan, good morning to you. How are you? Morning, lads. Yeah, still coughing a bit, Ger, unfortunately. Uh, well, hopefully we'll get through this. Um, we'll talk about Ulster in a moment, but um, should we talk about Owen Farrell and, and his tackle first? Uh, I know this was one of the things coming out of the Premiership this weekend. Um, I hadn't seen the video, and uh, we were talking about it pre-show, and I was like, oh, it's fairly typical. And I was like, oh, was it one of those tackles where he leads with his arm? And I was like, yeah, exactly, that's exactly it. And then I watched it, and I was like, oh, I've seen this tackle from Owen Farrell a lot. What's going on here? Yeah, I think it's um, obviously with uh, there's so much talk about um, you know the, the reducing the tackle height and players' shoulder to to head and the neck area. I think on Friday night, for anyone who didn't see it, seventy um, fourth minute, um, he's at the side of a rock on Farrell against Gloucester and Jack Clement, uh, one of the Gloucester players, pick picks it around the side and Owen Farrell looks to make the tackle and um, there's a shoulder to the neck and the chin um, clear contact and I think probably um, the frustrating part about this is um, you know with the new the new World Rugby directives that have come into place is the 1st of January one of, one of those directives was to try and speed up the TMO process and and hurry things on a little bit because it's a lot of time being lost in the game players walking into lineouts, penalty kicks conversions all that kind of stuff so I think uh, the referee Carl Dixon um, maybe had that in his mind and he was asking the TMO um, was it in the previous phase of play and if it was we can't go back and look at it and uh, Claire Hodna was the TMO she said um, she she wasn't sure um, it was about six phases before the ball hadn't gone out of play so they were they should have went back and looked at it and they didn't um, and obviously if you see it you see the thing live uh, on the TV or see it afterwards um I think it's a clear red card, and it's. It, I suppose it could have been. It could be significant. He may be cited. Yes, um, he plays on the last five or six minutes and gets a drop goal when the clock is in the red to win it for for Saracens. Um, and it just kind of highlights, um, even at this stage, that uh, it shouldn't be happening. You know, it should have been dealt with on the field, and and the referee Carl Dixon. And the TMO, there was a lack of communication there. And and look, maybe he will be cited. I'm not advocate for players to be cited and sent off and all that kind of stuff. But I think there has to be consistency across the game with the with the shoulder uh, contact to, to above above you know the neck and the head area. And there was this was a clear one where he should have been. It should have been dealt with. Yeah. It could have been a yellow. There was no arm wrap there. And um, he's a very physical player, and he's a brilliant player, and he's a top bloke as well. Um, but you know we're trying to change the behaviours in the game right across the board, and and this wasn't dealt with. And he got away with one really, and Saracens got away with one, and essentially England got away with one, uh, unless he cited. Yeah, and we, as of yet, we're still waiting to, to see. Um, it looks like he probably will more than likely get away with it. Sexton got away with one last week, though, right? Uh, uh, he, he did, and and you you asked me that, and uh, you know he ends up uh, you know breaking his jaw. Um, and went for an operation. But I think the more you look back in that, and we've seen, you know, the, the onus is on the tackle player, the tackling player, to drop their body height, not the ball carrier. And um, we saw one previously where Keane Healy um, against Ulster 
um, he got sent off for it and then got the red card um, changed or rescinded. Um, it's difficult on the tackling player when their body height is that that high and they receive the tackle. But I, I, it's very clear for me and for anyone listening or watching, um, when you're the tackle player, if your movement is, your last movement is forward towards the opposition, that's when you're in kind of uh, dangerous territory. If you're absorbing the tackle, it's a little bit different. But looking back at Johnny Sex's one, he could have easily have... Um, you got a yellow or possibly a red from that tackle. On the Farrell incident, Quinny, is it the TMOs? <clears throat> is, it a com- is it a calamity of errors? Like, the TMO eventually says yes. it to Carl Dixon, the referee, but, of course, time has time passed on. The referee then say, says too much time has passed for him to do anything about it and go back and review it. Like, in, in football, you'd imagine if there's, a, if there's a foul, you know, the game plays on, and even if it's four or five minutes later when the ball stays in play, the referee will still give the card at the end of that phase of play. But yeah. should the referee... Have Gone back regardless, no matter how much time had passed. Yeah, and I think there is a bit of Shane. There is a bit of um, confusion around that, and the TMO called it. Uh, Gloucester went up the field. It was six phases later. They end up getting into the Saracens twenty-two, and that's where Carl Dixon was asking, "Was it previous um, phase of play where the ball went out of play?" So I think what they're being told now in directives, if 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 it plays on for a minute or two and the ball goes out of play and restarts again with a line-out or a scrum or, or a kick-off or a 22 drop-out or whatever, that, um, you know, you shouldn't go back that far. But that that would indicate it's up to the TMO to kind of pick these things up on the go. They have to be clear and obvious and you got to tell the referee that. So he deals with it really quickly and we're not looking at replays and, and constant delays on, on whether it's foul play or not foul play. Um, there was a total com- brute breakdown of communication here. And, you know, this is a game that's on TV that everybody's watching, you know, lo- loads of Irish people watching this game as well. Um, obviously, big audience across the UK. So everyone can see it. And it's not... Well, I think what what it shouldn't really happen that this kind of breakdown happens, the breakdown of communication happens, but that's exactly essentially what, what happened. And it wasn't reviewed and, you know, Gloucester were, were really frustrated, I think in the end. And, um, well, the whole league title could be decided on decisions like this. The whole notion as well that, oh, these old decisions, they all even themselves up over the year. They don't like massive mistakes get made and you never recover from them and careers get, you know, uh, I'm not saying in this instance that's the case, but like uh, good quality refereeing isn't that hard to sort out, especially when they have so many people watching stuff. And there was a, at least a conversation about this. Uh, they should have taken their time over it. It's potentially game changing, and it turned out it would have been completely game changing. Um, yeah, and, and Carl Dixon said, "Look, if if it's in the previous phases of play um, where the game had restarted, and the, uh, the sighting officer will look after it." But I, I just think it's it's really important that, you know, with the new directives and we've seen a lot of the games so far, the referees telling players to speed up the kicks. You know, you have 60 seconds for, for a penalty from the time it was awarded um, or the time you indicate you're having a shot at, at goals. Um, 90 seconds from a try being scored to take the conversion. Um, s- slow play is going to be penalised so if you're yeah. walking into lineouts, taking your all those things are good yeah. but the one thing Jerry, you think it's like kind of like VAR in soccer you, you you don't really mind how long it takes if, you, if you're the supporting team 
of, of or if it affects well it affects both sides these decisions if they get it right and for me the 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 foul play or was the try scored um the TMO stuff I, I don't care if you're waiting five ten minutes for that as long as you get the right call yeah. and I know there is world rugby are trying to speed up the game and that came from a conference that they had in, with all the different coaches in world rugby which is to be applauded because you know the game is stop start enough but this TMO stuff and and Friday night it was it was clearly wrong and what would 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 worry me more um again this isn't about the individual because honestly he's he's a great player and a brilliant fella but if this goes and there is no sighting and it's not uh, it's not looked at it's wrong really you okay. know Okay, we should move on because we need to talk about Ulster. Um, uh, we we had O'Gara on obviously on Friday morning, and you were uh, gently probing about how the game was going to go against Toulouse at the weekend. They absolutely hammered Toulouse, thirty points to seven in the top fourteen. It's their first win against uh, Toulouse, I think, since twenty nineteen. So they're in very good form, which is exactly what Ulster don't need uh, heading into the next game, which is against La Rochelle. Uh, this is, I mean, we, we talk week on week about Ulster over the last five, six weeks, basically since the second half collapse against Leinster in that game that you were talking about, Keane Healy's red card. Um, something is rotten in Ulster at the moment. And where do you start? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think it's, there's a real lack of confidence has seeped in. And, um, you know, certain areas that are game that they were very strong at, are, are now you were not seeing it you know their mall was really strong at the start of the season they were scoring lots of tries their forwards were putting um, a big squeeze in the opposition um, if you teams have obviously negated that and look let's be honest Benetton away um, with all their internationals are, are a tough it's a tough fixture so and in their in fairness to Ulster they've had a they've had an incredibly difficult run with, with a lot of away games. I think last week was kind of summed up where they're at, you know, in that Munster game. Um, and then they get themselves back. They take the lead in 77 minutes against Benetton after playing poorly for particularly the first half. Um, and then they, John Cooney gets penalised and, and Rhino Smith, the, the, the Benetton fullback, kicks, kicks a penalty to win the game. They, ju- they just look deflated. They look like... Um, they look like a side that are kind of lost in a sense. They're lacking a little bit of energy. They're showing glimpses of what they can do. And I've said this throughout this really tough period. It's their fifth loss in six games. Um, that certain things they can do are very exciting, but there's something wrong, as you say. And and there is a bit of a crisis there now, and they're going through a really difficult period. Those glimpses, Quinny, of, of, of positive shoots from Ulster, and Dan McFarlane mentioned the fact, <clears throat> the fact that they came back from 20 at 15 down and got that one-point lead again, albeit then Cooney's caught offside and they give the, the late penalty away to lose the game. But are there any positives to be seen from, from Ulster at the moment, even performance-wise? Um, I, I don't, I, I'm not sure. It's hard to find them. I think the character look was... Was um, and we can probably overplay the confidence thing. I think um, the character they showed to come back and get themselves in that position uh, to go ahead, um, and all all teams need those kind of moments where they're going through a bad run and suddenly they turn it around and get get a result on the road. And this was one they needed, um, but I just think they didn't 
They didn't manage the game. Their game management at times is really, really poor. I think, you know, they had a couple, and Dan McFarland spoke about this in the Munster game, their entry points into the opposition 22. They're, they had so many of them against Munster and came back out, got turned over, didn't get scores. So you would that would indicate there's a ruthless kind of dominant edge missing there. I think the Eric O'Sullivan try um, after eight minutes was was a real positive. But Klusky made a real powerful carry. They won the line out. He made a real powerful carry. Play a couple of phases. Nick Timoney, big carry around the corner. And then, you know, they come back in field and score a really, really good try. And you think it's dominant, um, aggressive, direct rugby. And I think when they play like that, I think they can get more out of the team. I think they've got into a, a state of believing that um, they can run around teams and they can they can cut them open with their backline. And when teams are defending well against them, I think they've they're having issues. But um, the positive is, yeah, I suppose they have the talent. They have some really good players, but they're not gelling together and playing like a team. And in, in saying that, I've said it at the start, Shane. They've had a really dreadful run of games as well. Um, and it's been really tough for them when you when you go back to you know away from sale, away away to sale, away to Leinster, away to sale, home to a really powerful La Rochelle side. Then they're away to Connacht, um, really tough run of fixtures. You, you know the monster game at home. That's the one you think they're going to win and they're going to win um, handsomely. And then they're away on the road again to Benetton. So it's been a really tough run. And obviously, they're off to La Rochelle now. So yeah. it doesn't get any easier. But that's the that's the ball game. Like, Ulster are supposed to be building a team capable of reaching semi-finals of all the competitions they enter in. They don't lack for resources. They don't lack for uh, talent in terms of the, the players we think are supposed to be good. But it's interesting how few, how so few of them have actually made Ireland squads and made Ireland teams and are outperforming you know, there's very few of those players who make it to the Ireland squad and then overachieve. There's been a few instances in recent years where that's happened. But like that back row, we thought that, you know, Lowry might make it, Balakou might have a, a place nailed down in the team. It hasn't, they haven't kicked on. And is that, I wonder, is that because the culture in the playing pool is wrong or the culture in the management is wrong or the culture in the whole operation is wrong at the moment? Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I, it's hard to put your finger on it, but there's, um, I think there's a lack of leadership there, and and reality of of rolling up the sleeves and and really dogging out games. Um, you know, you mentioned those players in the backline. James Hume is is an incredibly talented player. Balakun, um, and what what he did in the game the other day was really impressive. I think um, he's he still has that bit of X factor. Mike Lowry got a great try. Um, he's trying a lot, but they're just lacking energy as well. So there's there's something not right there. Um, and who knows? You know, I like Dan McFarland. I think he's, by and large, up to this point, you could say that, you know, there was an, a certain amount of excitement and progression from this Ulster group. They could have been in a URC final last summer um, and possibly could have won it if they got there. So... They, they they were very unlucky against the Stormers right at the death in the semi-final. Um, so they're coming up short a lot. I think it's quite frustrating for Ulster fans. And it's it's a clear indicator of the type of player and the level the players are at when they're being picked for Ireland. And there we say it, you know, it's constant 
uh, Leinster players doing simple things really well, building into a system, um, looking full of um, energy, flair, quality all the time. And and the other provinces are, are striving for that kind of a setup. But And you think Ulster are the ones that are kind of the nearest and the ones who can challenge at the moment a little bit more. But they've gone backwards in the last few weeks. So there's something not, not clicking there. In saying that, um, all sports teams have these kind of bad runs and, and it can be difficult. And that's where you need good leaders to, to kind of help and take over. And one result can change, change things. So it's a really difficult game going to La Rochelle at the weekend. But, you know, they've got to kind of roll the sleeves up this week and, 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 and hope something, um, happens for them because, you know, sail at home the following week. They could, they could be out of Europe and most probably will be out of Europe. Um, the follow, you know, in two yeah. weeks' time. Yeah. Okay. I, I do want to move on because there's speculation in the, in the papers linking Malcolm Marks, the uh, Springbok hooker, with Munster. Um, does this does if if one big name South African signing comes in, does this mean RG Slyman won't be there next season? Can you have both in the team at the same time? No, you can have both. I think, and they've they've been linked with Malcolm Marks on, on, on a few occasions before. Um, he's obviously a fantastic player and would be another big marquee signing. And 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 it's an area that you know, aside from Niall Scandal and Dermot Barron and Scott Buckley, you know, they need a little bit more depth there and, and top quality um power and physicality. Um they're not going to be able to sign uh an international tight and international hooker. So Maybe if Malcolm Marks comes in, he certainly helps the scrum situation a little bit. Um, he offers a little bit more depth there to Niles, with Niall Scannell and Dermot Barron, who are very good players. But you feel it's an area that um, Munster need to strengthen and get more depth because, you know, when it comes to the business end of matches, I think their scrum has, has creaked a little bit. Go back to that game against Toulouse, the quarterfinal and the Aviva. And that's where all the the trouble and issues they had um, in that game popped up. And and sometimes people think it's just the props that are, you need big props to scrummage, but no, the hooker is vital as well. And he's a very strong scrummager, Malcolm Mark. So he would certainly add to any team. And, um, you know, if they get a little bit of luck with getting Snyman back, who's back running now, um, and get some games, they could have a decent run towards the end of the season. But, so you think they like both? Malcolm Marks. You think they both be in the team next season? Uh, sorry, like a, a couple of things, right? First off, if Marks is being linked this heavily, it'd be unusual for that to be hijacked by somebody else. It feels like it, if it's leaking out at this point, it's leaking out because the there's good information. Is that your instinct about this? No, I didn't really speak to anyone. I think um, about it. I think he has been linked before, and I know that um, they 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 were trying to get him. Um, you know, you would think that. He would have a conversation with 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 RG Snyman. I think with Johan van Graan leaving, uh, Damien Dialenda leaving as well. That would that affect um, the the possibility of more more someone like him coming in. But um, I, I look. I think I've, there's nothing concrete. I think obviously Malachi Fekatoa hasn't played a lot, so they're the kind of two marquee signings: Snyman and, and Fekatoa. Um, so I'm not sure what's going to happen there, but maybe they would have to, you know, release Malachi Fekatoa if Malcolm Marks came in. But 
they can't make any decision about Arjun Snyman until he gets back. And obviously, if he plays the rest of the season and has a run, he has another year after that. And um, you know, I said it at the time for him signing that extension was obviously it was great loyalty out of him, but it was loyalty out of Munster, giving him the opportunity as well. Um, and I I know from from people who've spoken to him and. He wants to try and repay Munster a little bit and, and get back and play. Uh, but Malcolm Marx would be a great signing from yes. Uh, we should give Connacht a mention as well, Quinny. Um, I mean, it was a depleted yeah. Sharks team, albeit in the 24-12 win uh, down in the sports ground. Weather was, was fairly torrid as well, it has to be said. But regardless of the, the maybe different Sharks team compared to the Sharks team that beat the Bulls recently, still a good win. And, and interestingly, Andy Friend uh, quite heavily praising the, the 3G pitch afterwards. Turns out this new pitch is uh, very much doing things in favour of Connacht. Yeah, well, this is uh, this is what they spoke about when, and the reason they got the pitch there being to be able to, you know, play their high-tempo, fast-tempo game in, in, in tough conditions. And the weather was horrendous there as well. Um, they're up to 11th now. And we said it on Friday, Shane, didn't we? How, the importance of not just a win here, but possibly a bonus point win. Um there's no doubt the Sharks sent them a week inside, which is a pity in a sense, but, you know, it's them trying to manage their squad as well with the travel and, and the matches they have coming up. Um, Leinster were very comfortable. I think they had to deal with, you know, the, still the physicality and and the only way you can deal with that, and we saw it in the Munster performance against the Lions, is pace, tempo, fitness, all that kind of stuff. And, and, and Connacht managed the game very, very well and threatened and, and had some lovely scores and, you know, a 24 nil um, job was done and I think they switched off a little bit. There was an obvious reaction from the Sharks but a really, really important win um, against a side that uh, could cause you problems. They certainly would cause you problems if they had their full team out but um, Andy Fran would for, would would have been pleased with the job and and the rugby they played as well and and the four G pitch did make a huge difference because they were able to move that shark side around a lot and um, they got some great tries. Does it take the piss out of the tournament a little bit, Quinny? Sharks taking such a weekend squad, or can you understand from their perspective? I can understand. Um, I think they're they're down in ninth. Um, they've only played ten games. They've lost four, so I think they're. With, with the quality they have and the depth they have and all the South African internationals, they're, they're potential winners of this competition. And it's kind of strange to say that after 12 games, a team down in ninth can win it, but they can. Um, so, you know, it's it's trying to manage them. And, and uh, we've seen the Irish provinces rotate a lot over the years and sometimes the frustration of the, the, the English teams and the premiership and stuff like that. So it's... It's a pity that they changed so many players uh, in a sense that um, you would think if they you know, made four or five changes and had some on the bench and stuff like that. But um, I think they were kind of thrown in the towel a little bit. But this was a game that um, you'd really fancy the Sharks to go to Galway and win if they had their full side. Well, they could probably go anywhere and win because they're so strong. So... Um, we haven't seen much of that and we've been praising the URC a lot and the quality of of uh, teams that have been selected throughout and the, the standard of the games but certainly that one on Saturday was was a bit of a mismatch and, and the Sharks lacked a lot of quality there but kind of got the job done and I think really important for them as we said on Friday. 
Leinster pretty much got the job done against Ospreys as well. Not a vintage Leinster performance, but an opportunity for some of the younger players to get minutes, with the exception maybe of Dan Sheehan, who wasn't supposed to get as many minutes, came off after 51 minutes and went straight back on again when his replacement got injured, and he ended up doing 77 minutes, which isn't ideal preparation for your, <coughs> your number one hooker this close to the um, Six Nations. No, and I'm trying, I'm, every time I see Dan Sheehan, I'm saying, is he playing again and again and again? Um, such a brilliant player. And Leinster did struggle at the start and, you know, it was a very strong Osprey side. Uh, they picked up vast majority of their internationals. Tipperick was captain. Alan Wynne Jones was there. Um, Thomas Francis in the tight end. Nicky Smith. So they did a lot of power and a lot of quality there. Um, but Leinster just keep kind of uh, getting the results and, and, I think the start of the game was poor for them. They gave up a soft sh- try to Keelan Giles. Um, brilliantly worked try up the short side, but you know you, you talk about the confidence and the body language and all that kind of stuff, and their work rate is just through the roof. And the tries from um, Hugo Keenan and Jimmy O'Brien kind of summed up where they're at, their their execution and their lines are running. There were two brilliant tries um, that effectively won the game from us. Sheehan gets one in the first half, which is. You know, on 36 minutes, it's Charlie Natai up the middle and they just literally come back blindside with a wide pass to Dan Sheehan and his footwork. So they um, they were brilliant scorers and, and it's a brilliant win, but it wasn't a vintage performance and it was one that they struggled in at periods of time. But it's 12, 12 on the bounce now, isn't it? So it's um, it was, uh, from, from their point of view, a very pleasing win away from home with lots of changes and lots of young players in there. Yeah, Harry, Harry Byrne started. There was a clamour for us to see Harry Byrne play for Ireland and we kind of all wanted to see what that would be like. That clamour has died down and from his perspective, he just needs to get some game time and try and re-establish himself as a pretender even or a contender in that conversation because he's not in that conversation at the moment at all, is he? Um, just needs a run of games, sure. You know, you need to play and you need to be involved in, in kind of big moments and matches. I think it was a game where he had some really good moments, but um, they were under a lot of pressure and they struggled um, and Leinster at times and they really had to dog it out. So for, for your fly half, um, and so often we see the halfbacks for, for Leinster getting an armchair ride with what's happening in front of him. There, he has undoubted quality, Harry Bourne. He's a big physical player um, and he just needs to play a number of games, you know, playing one every three or four weeks and, um, it's very hard to get any sort of rhythm and flow, but um, you know, he. I'm sure he will come back into the conversation again um, because he has the quality to do that. Johnny Sexton's going to be fit now. It looks like for the Six Nations. All this backup talk was for for nothing, but well, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't be rushing him back, would you? Um, well, now, well, it's, no, exactly. Give everybody else the chance in this. See what they're capable of doing, and then go. Okay, we actually have depth. Or put Sexton in, and as Sexton goes, our, all our eggs are in the Johnny Sexton basket. The only thing is, the player himself, if he if there's a, any sort of chance that he will be fit... Um, he wants to play, yeah. He, he wants to play, of course. He hasn't played a huge amount of rugby this season. Um, but we'll wait and see. I think, you know, there's... If he, if he didn't play, um, it wouldn't be a bad thing for Ireland, um, because going to Carla first up is going to be really different, difficult... Um, Warren Gatland, oh. the Warren Gatland effect, and all that kind of stuff. 
um, and they'll really see Ireland as a massive scalp if they could if they could beat them there. So they'll make it really difficult. And you, you'd love to see Johnny Sexton there win the game and for them to have a good Six Nations. But I, I don't feel it's an imperative. It's in, it's the most important thing in the world. I think he needs to be minded. Um, not wrapped in cotton wool like you said before, Jerry, which you probably do if you could. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Give him four months uh, off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, look, it would be a big boost if he was back around the squad and back training with them anyway because he is the captain and he's great leadership qualities. All right, Quinny, we leave it there. Good stuff. Thanks a million. Cheers. Thanks, lads. Um, we've been talking about Sexton and the comparison with the great American football quarterbacks. Obviously, uh, the Tom Brady conversation was one that he'd been having with Lancaster over the years. Brady's in the playoffs, played a little bit last night for the Buccaneers in the yep. meaningless game. But Aaron Rodgers didn't make it. Mm. He he crapped out last night. He'd been on a run of, uh, I think, four wins in a row and it looked like he was getting back, although the four wins had largely been off the back of good quality Green Bay defence. And then last night, when all they had to do was beat the Detroit Lions, who had nothing to play for, mm. they couldn't do it. And they've they've owned the Lions over the last 12 years, basically 15 years since he's been there. Largely, you would chalk that down as a victory for Aaron Rodgers because uh, while he was in Chicago, he went, we own this town, but he owned Detroit as well. Um, and he owned the Lions and he couldn't get it done. This is like, last year he was the MVP. Yeah. The year before he was the MVP in the midst of some various... Um, vaccination lies that he was uh, uh, spending yeah. he was immunised and you just like the the cliff happens I was thinking about this right it's the scene in the boat in the Sopranos when Bobby Bacala and Tony Soprano are musing on you know when death comes do you know about it and Bobby's like nah I don't think I don't think you hear it you just fade to black mm. and that's what happens in, at the end of the movie right or at the end of the series and like uh Aaron Rodgers didn't really know the end was coming. He just faded to black last night. Mm. That's what happened. Are you saying this is a sexton warning sign? I'm just saying, I'm not, I'm not, like... You, you oh, that is what you're can, saying. You can make your own mind up about this. Mm. We don't know when the cliff is coming. I hope that the cliff is the week after the World Cup final. That's 100%. what I hope. 100%. That would be an amazing, like, you don't get to write your own story story. Well, Dan Carter got to write his, right? Well, we want, we want the Lionel years. Messi. The Lionel Messi ending yeah, for John that's, Sexton. That's the word. That's where, like, come on, you be Leo. That's all we want. Don't be Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, yeah. And someone can stand up and be our Emmy Martinez in the World Cup as well. We want so that. If, if Tom Brady had retired after the end of winning the Super Bowl, like he should have done, he's still married to Giselle, and he would have had that moment. <laughs> yeah, sliding doors. 8.40, OTBAM, brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. If uh, you want to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. 087-9180-180 is the WhatsApp number, or you can leave a comment on the YouTube stream. Colin Milani is with us. Call. Hello, lads. You. How's it going? Are you all well? Mm-hmm. I'm very well, yeah. Good. Um, uh, comment in about um, the best footballer in the country. Just going to try and not butcher this. Connor uh, Glass. It's been deleted for me. Oh, yeah, well, Connor Glass, when, when's he joining Croaks? Um... Uh, yeah, no, I've lost it now. I'll come back to it. But you, I think you have a fair idea after Fuss It's like, oh, that guy's good at football. When's he joining Croaks? Um, are we are we, are we, we diminishing Croaks' brilliance here because they're such a super club and they're so powerful and they've got such a big pick? I mean, I know Adrian Barry's screaming at the radio at the moment, but like, do we appreciate the fact that they're a good team enough? Probably not. Probably not. I think they deserve a lot of credit. I know that they'll be disappointed with the way that they finished the game yesterday. I mean, they look to be in cruise control uh, heading down the closing stretch and O'Reilly's really hit back at them and had that chance of that long ball in at the end where it was flicked on and cleared off the line. And I know that Robbie Brennan, the manager, spoke afterwards that it is a little bit of a concern that their way of closing out matches has developed. But 
the Paul Mannion factor is going to be such a huge oh, thing over the next He'll be back for the final. Well, if you read between the lines of what Robbie Brennan's saying. You think? Well, he says, oh, look, I'm not sure. Two yeah. weeks, we'll see if it's too soon. But I got, I got the, from the, the way in which he was speaking, I was like, this man, I mean, Mannion's. He wouldn't have been named in the panel yesterday if he wasn't very, very close. And Brennan said he was very close. So you'd imagine another, another two weeks for him is, is enough. He's been in with Dublin as well, training with them, so he's yeah. getting plenty of training behind his belt. I just wonder, in terms of mind games, are they trying to play that a little bit too, that if they do say that he is in contention, it gives uh, Glenn something else to think about and a plan that they have to develop if Mannion either starts or comes off the bench at some point. Mm. Is someone going to be detailed to, to man-mark him and how does that, that impact the way that Kilmacud will, will approach things? Um, Shane Walsh played a little bit deeper yesterday, trying to little bit of a playmaker I guess yeah. out around the, the 45 and um, probably not his best game in the world but still when he gets on the ball just the burst of pace that he has a bit of an injury a bit of a niggle at yeah. the end yeah that's what they said afterwards too um, just a few of them were standing on his toes he was kind of hinting at which, which happens in a match by accident anyway oh, oh by accident yeah, yeah. <laughs> best player always gets his toes stood yeah. on <laughs> yeah. there'll be so, none of that from the Glen lads they're all, all polite polite young men as we saw against Kilgoo be delighted to bring them home to your man 100% absolutely uh, you're saying we don't appreciate couldn't be cut enough Ger I'm just saying do they get a raw deal because of all the resources and, and money and and, and playing population bigger than Longford that they have I, I, look I, I tongue in cheek call them a super club quite often I think everybody does and I mean that in two senses they have the resources of a super club but also they are a super space club because uh, needless to say a lot they of they don't like you call them a super club no they no no it's an insult no but I, I they have great people involved in the club and Shane Walsh even but sure doesn't every club have great people involved yeah they do but it, it, it must be tough for a club of that size to make everyone feel welcome. It's easy for a club like Fossa or probably most of our local clubs, which are much smaller than Kilmacud, to make people, you know, you know, call up the secretary or call up someone and say, I want my young fellow wants to join the club, no problem, and make them feel like a million dollars. Kilmacud, that's tough. That is, That must be tough because they're getting so many of those phone calls every week. My kid wants to play. There's a hundred phone calls probably every week coming in for from parents who want their kid to join the club. You're saying that it's almost they're so laden down with the the small bits of gold that it's hard to find the nuggets in the middle of that. Is that it? Well, something like that. But I mean, it's a metaphor. Obviously, it's not real gold. Yeah, but it, it must be tough for them. And the fact that they can compete on on so many different fronts: the women's game, the hurling, the football, yeah, and still manage all of that. You, you have to be impressed by it. Super club or not. And you mentioned super club it still hurts when you lose when you're a super club because yeah. Robbie Brennan said that he has a screensaver <laughs> I mean that's brilliant of Kilku lifting the trophy uh, I mean imagine looking at it's that it's a double-edged sword right day. and oh, it is a double-edged sword because like obviously it, it, you know it's like what do you think of that Joe Brawley and, yeah. uh, and Donahue's doing the sit-ups to, to Brawley's face but equally like I, I remember watching um, trophy presentations uh, Armand Tyrone and you'd see Geezer like the big angry head on him watching the trophy presentation but it, it, it wasn't enough like the mm. the motivation is to get you to train but like also perpetually being reminded of the moment where you failed is that actually good for you in the end I can't well, you can't that, be good for your mental health I suspect it puts a lot of pressure on you now well, going and is that what's going on with them well, he, when they're six points up they're like Oh Jesus! It's a it's, you know it's like the two nil is a bad lead in football. It's not really unless you turn it yeah. into one. But then you even like, yeah, you have to use those things as as a bit of an incentive. And I understand why Robbie Brennan is doing that. But it, it, it I delete be. it now. I would I would change it to something. But even Ashley said it to him last night, and he said, "Well, Jesus, you know, maybe because this is before Glenn and Mike Cullen have played their semi final." He said, "Well, you know, maybe, geez, maybe in a couple of weeks I'll have Glenn or Mike Cullen lifting the trophy on my on my screensaver, and for another year he'll have that." You can't. 
I don't think you can think like that. I know it's it's to encourage the players. It's obviously worked so far. Yeah, so far you know. so good. And in a wider sense, this final is very interesting because Kilmacud are probably, obviously they've been there before, I think they've won it twice before and they've been in the final last year. So you have the kind of experience that they have as a club and as a panel versus the raw enthusiasm of Glenn who are there for the first time, only came out of Derry last year like, to win their good, first title. There's a good chance that Glenn find the occasion a bit too much for them and so, and there's a letdown. But or I, it happened, semi-final could have been too big for them. But, well, it just... it. It happens a lot where a team makes it to their first All-Ireland yeah. and the, the powerhouse score two early goals and it's game over and it's a 6-12 to 12 point defeat but it's never in the balance. Mm. That happens. We've seen that, we've seen that All-Ireland yes. final in club matches particularly a lot. But you could also say that the wave of enthusiasm and momentum that Glenn have takes them into it in, in, in a great frame of mind where Hopefully. the Kilmacud factor is... Yeah we have to right the wrong of last year and they yeah. may be slight favourites heading into the match. I, uh, like, I almost feel like it could be a, more of a Caltra occasion. Uh, it could be corrected in this, but uh, wasn't Caltra's All-Ireland win the first time they'd won their yeah, college championship and stuff as well? The first time in All-Ireland final, for sure. And they did it. I feel like Caltra and Glenn, there's similarities here. Chemical Croaks, 9-4 to four on, Glenn, 13-8. to eight. Mm. So it's like... Tight. Uh, Reasonably tight. And Well, I, I can't see a spread, but that's a four... That's a two and a half to four point spread I'd say mm. not knowing enough about the odds maybe somebody will correct me on that and give me an idea what that should be yeah, it should be a cracking game now there's got a lot of interesting plots um, the Glen midfield is very strong yeah. they're, they're very athletic um, both teams defensively solid as well they're hardy buggers yeah. yeah they've come through like a lot hardy instrument yeah They've got Malachy O'Rourke, and I was actually digging into to Glen a little bit more. They actually won four Ulster Minor Club titles in a row mm. a decade ago, and then they went on and won, I think, three Derry Under Twenty Ones with that fairly similar group after that. So, like, this is a long-term project, and it's it's amazing that it took them a little while to break through in Derry. But it's testament to the strength of Derry club football that they did. It took them that and long. And to Malachy O'Rourke as well. Malachy O'Rourke obviously has has helped, and Connor Glass coming back. Yeah, too. So it's kind of all come together nicely at a, at a nice time so there is a thing about trying to strike while the iron is hot you may not get this chance again and we know how you know how difficult uh, Ulster club football is mm, to come through again so uh, maybe now's their time I just think they're going to do it I, I, just watching them even in the first 10-15 minutes yesterday where they're kind of they're getting the first four points on the board and you're thinking how are, how are Moy Cullen going to because Moy Cullen's running game was, was what got them this far and they're a brilliant team Moy Cullen yeah. um, but Glenn just did that thing where they put the 15 men behind the ball frustrate the opposition a little bit um, and just get enough was the goal early stages of the second half as well they get crucial scores at crucial times Glenn and it's a hallmark of Maliki work teams down the years where you know tight games but then a big score comes at a big time and I was lucky enough as a man in fantasy it for, for a long time um, where you're involved in tight games and you just think at the back of your head well, there's going to be something that, that'll happen here at some positive time and an important time in the game and I just think he's a, he's a factor that has to be considered. Robbie Brennan's a great coach as well. Robbie Brennan, I think, was named on Bernard Flynn's backroom ticket for right, okay. tr- to try and impose Colm O'Rourke's Meath job. But should mention as well, uh, David Moran, at 34 years of age, with ah, a yeah. superb performance. And you just wonder, will he will he give it another year with Kerry? I know his manager afterwards hinted that he, he should. You'd love to see him, wouldn't you? Like, you definitely feel like there's an opportunity for him to influence games down the stretch. Now, he might not be a starter, and that might be too annoying for him at this stage. But maybe he could be one of those, like the Dubs, when they were doing their four in a row, six in a row, like the years two, three and four, they always had players who would come on 
and seal games and who you knew were absolutely capable of doing it because they'd had a decade or 15 years of experience and if he could have that role for two or three seasons for Kerry like that's very 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 important yeah even as a person in the dressing room to have yeah with experience yeah like you look at different county, even my own county there Drew Wiley Colin Walsh two very experienced players retiring there last week but then you have the Vinnie Corey effect as well of lads who know him like Conor McManus and Darren Hughes staying on for a year Kerry need the same they need David Morans and those players staying on for a year or two and that, that might be the difference in an All-Ireland or two. Yeah. For, for sure. And the same for Dublin as well. I think based on yesterday's performance, Moran would be that influence in the dressing, but he definitely would be able to contribute on the field. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Sorry, yeah, it's yeah. like, yeah. yeah. It's more um, convincing him that there's a role that's like really, really important mm. as opposed to just, oh, you're a bit part player because you're coming on for the last 10 minutes. It's mm. like, that's not the case anymore. Yeah. 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 Uh, so what else is going on? Well, Graham Potter, a man under pressure after yesterday's 4 0 loss to Manchester City in the FA Cup. Chelsea, just two wins in eight now under Potter, and uh, some suggestions that he could be heading for the exit door pretty soon. City poised to play Arsenal in the next round. That's if the Gunners get through their fixture against Oxford tonight in the third round kickoff for that one at eight. The shock of the round came at Villa Park. League 2 Stevenage beat Aston Villa by two goals to one. We mentioned the Get It Games action. It's going to be Kilmacle Croaks against Glen in the All-Ireland Club football final. That's in two weeks' time on January 22nd. Big win for John Ram last night in the golf. He had a 10-under par round of 63 to win the Century Tournament of Champions. He finished two shots clear of Colin Morikawa, 27-under par. We're all talking about how it's, uh, it's the year for Rory to win a major but like John Ram must be looking at and has kind of talked about the attention that Rory's getting mm. and how it's kind of pissing him off a little bit <laughs> well you got to ask him about that wasn't that wasn't there something around that yeah about the like golf a... and that, the, the PGA Tours response mm. and yeah. how they're going to change things um, did you see I only saw it yesterday did you see the uh, Ryder Cup video the Christmas Ryder Cup video this. Luke Donald and Rory McIlroy did you see this no I didn't see you that. didn't see this no did it, you haven't seen I it I missed this yeah. oh my god 1.3 million views on Twitter. It's um, it's the love actually. Say it's carol singers. Oh yeah, with Did the with the cardboard at the door. Yeah. <laughs> so Luke Donald calls to Rory McIlroy's gaff. Do you know what? I started the first ten seconds of this, and I was like, "This is going to be too cringe." So I stopped. Oh, well, you so should. I, I actually don't know what happened the, in the end. The cringe factor is very high. Yeah. Well, that's why I stopped. Well, I couldn't do it. It's very short. They, it's mercifully short. It's like a minute and thirty-four seconds. But I, I like your attention span there. Yeah. Enough enough attention span for the Royals, but not enough for the great. Okay. Uh, I, I, the 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 great reveal, which I'm now ruining for you, I'm spoiling this shit video for you. So thank me later. Is that um, it's John Ram? That it's like I want you to play more like this player, Rory, and it's John Ram. Right. I'm like, and then Rory comes out and gives him a big hug, and it's like, I love you. I, know, I love you. They don't do that. I love you, but like, you know, this is actually Rory and Luke. It's not deep fake. No, it's not. It, it's not a deep fake unless it's a very good deep fake because they 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 do like there is bodily contact. Right. Interesting. Oh, weird, weird, um, really yeah. weird. Jesus. But like, obviously, they're trying to woo John Ram back. Yeah, I think he probably feels like he could be more of a leader in the European team. But he is. I mean, you need more than one leader in a Ryder Cup team of, of twelve players. Um, but McIlroy certainly has the mantle of European number one, pretty cemented. John right Ram's risking it back for him now. Well, there's one way, John. That's to win the Masters. Yeah, <laughs> there's how you go. And uh, yeah, so. But he's an unbelievable player. And 10 under last night was a crazy record. 63. Yeah. Fact of the year. Uh, 59 yeah. would be more... Pla- we, actually, we, we were getting a bit of um, love on Twitter over the weekend for that... Uh, well, not love. People were getting involved in the conversation but the 1479 darter and hole in one. People saying we should have actually said it was a 59. Shooting a 59 is the... Um, <clears throat> Brian Driscoll getting involved, of course, as well. So. Congratulations yeah. on making your obsession now a national talking point. Well done, Shane. Snooker, so, darts, let's go. Yeah, the people yeah. Give the people what they want. Yeah. Um, 
Mm, 59 will be difficult now. Come on. Yeah, but is that the more comparable thing than a hole in one? Probably is. A hole in one's a fluke. But then a, a, a 147 and a 9 dart are both on a non moving snooker table and dartboard, whereas a 59 could be on well, any thing course. The thing is, what I would think about is the mental aspect of it. So for a hole in one, you're not trying to get a hole in one as such. Whereas if yeah. you shoot a 59, you've got to think about every next shot. For you ever had a hole in one? No. No, not yet. No. Not yet, sorry, yeah, good one. Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> I'm working on it. Yeah, yeah, it's going to happen. Uh, you've been watching the snooker, I'm sure. Oh, of course. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Ronnie O'Sullivan plays this afternoon against uh, Luca Brussel at the Masters, so it's it's in a bit of flux now, isn't it, with the suspensions for the Chinese players? Yeah, I'll send Vafey with a surprise win over Selby last night, although yeah. he has the number of them in, yeah. in, in big tournaments. Vafey and uh, Sean Murphy, surprise winner as well, but as we said earlier, Neil Robertson was sick. So, a few shocks. Ali Pali was fairly turned around from the darts. Same venue and it just looks like a change. different place. It's quite a change. But they have introduced the walk-ons, haven't they, for the snooker players? Brilliant. Yeah. So they are they are heading that direction. It's but, mainstream. Uh, good television for this week. To well, watch we're going to the Ali Pali. We're going to the darts. Ron Nagar is coming along with us on, in December for a bit of a road show. So we're going to make it happen. Nice. Jerry's going to be there as well. He's going to be transformed. Oh, yeah. uh, Robbie Keane, we have not mentioned this. Oh, yeah. Portsmouth. What's the story? Well, he's been linked to it. I'm, I mean, I think it's a good opportunity it's a good opportunity and there comes a point where if you are being linked to different jobs you probably do have to take the plunge at some stage um, Portsmouth club with a good tradition he was at the Portsmouth place. game in the cup but obviously it was at Spurs mm. and so no one kind of took too much notice of it but there's a possibility that there was some kind of yeah. he, and he's open to it that's what we we're, we're led to believe he is open to this mm. I think it'd be I think it'd be a good move for him to, to dip his toe in Chris Wilder Neil Warnock some of the more established names being linked with the job like, so there's a three man shortlist is what we're yeah but there's others Liam, it's Liam Richardson or Liam Senior one of them are, is, is, is linked as well there's a, there, there seems to be quite a big shortlist Robbie seems to be maybe third or fourth down the pecking order if you're looking at the names I'd be surprised if he got it um, given Wilder and Warnock's experience yeah but there's also a point where you've seen what they can do and it's exactly, like exactly yeah they're also like mid-table in League 1 it's probably not a bad club to take over and it would be something fresh for the club yeah it? I mean in terms of offering maybe a little bit of a jolt to, to get back up the divisions. Mm. Um, but sunny sun on the south coast as well. Not a bad club to take over, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. Right, anything else? Oh, Shane. All right, good stuff, Colin Lanny. Thanks, Thanks very much for that. Uh, Jack Cosgrove says, rumour has it on Sheehan is flying back for the National Football League to be part of David Clifford's after-security game team. <laughs> he's going to need it. Well, oh, that's not a bad job for Owen. Uh, you know, but I think he's going to need more than just a few because that was hundreds of kids, wasn't it? Like that, that's... As he said himself to Ashley afterwards, I was just hoping no, no kids got hurt. It's going to get to that point where stewards have to be running on as well and maybe nearly surrounding them. Yeah, I'd, uh, don't be don't be stopping this. No, this no, no, don't stop it. No. But just make sure it's done in a safe way. And It's know. grand for now. The kids are all, they can all look after each other. Yeah, fair. Yeah. And sure if one of them breaks a wrist here or there, sure isn't, they'll get the cast signed and it'll be, sure, it'll they be learn all from grand. It. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Powell 74 says, Glenn put themselves in a lot of trouble playing the ball around in their own full back line. When they attacked, they were good. Mm. There'll be no fanning around in the back with oh. Shane Walsh. Jesus, no. Um, and Mannion. Yeah, I think Mannion will be back. I'd be surprised if he didn't play some part, maybe not start the game. But, um, Jesus, I'm looking forward to that game. I hope there's a good atmosphere. I think being in Croke Park, it can take away from the atmosphere a little bit in these club matches, but towards the end of the two matches yesterday, I think it, it seemed to, to liven up a bit, although it was it was all kind of consigned to the, to the Hogan stand from what I saw. So um, it's going to be a big one. Derry versus Kerry, Derry versus uh, Dublin, sorry. There you go. Uh, potential uh, big 
be a clash in the All-Ireland if mm. uh, everybody gets their way as well. Right, 8.57 this morning and I'm delighted to say we're joined by Kira McCormick who has just signed for Treaty United, uh, former Republic of Ireland international Kira McCormick, ahead of the start of the 2023 Women's Premier Division season. Kira, good morning to you. How are you getting on? Good, how are you? Yeah, good. What was the crack with this? Was it Was it always your intention to come and play in this season's league and were you looking for a club or did they make contact with you? How did that work? Um, yeah, it was, it definitely wasn't uh, a planned thing. Um, I, Mary Curtin, who I played for Ireland with, um, who's a really good friend of mine is involved with treaty. And, uh, basically in Canada, there's no pro league or any sort of, um, pathway really after players are done university. So, um, yeah, uh, treaty didn't have a great season last year. Talked to Mary, um, and, just again, planned to go over to Ireland and we'd sort of just talked about helping out with treaty. And then I don't know, it just kind of snowballed. And I just sort of said, like, I've been playing and pretty fit since I stopped like professionally playing. And so I just sort of said, I'd jump in if they needed anybody. And then anyways, and then it just one thing led to another and um, yeah, signed and ready to go for the start of the season. You make it sound like you're Michael Corleone and the Godfather. Just when you thought you were out, they sucked you back in. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it feels like it a little bit, yeah. So, but obviously yeah. you wanted to. So, somebody somewhere, yeah, there's a little voice in your head going, yeah, "I'm not done. I can play." Yeah, I mean, I think that. Um, I mean, all through COVID, actually, I was back home in Vancouver playing pickup all the time with a bunch of Irish guys, actually. And I think, um, yeah, I mean, I still get a kick out of playing, and um, yeah, I still. I, I kind of like the idea of just kind of even challenging myself to just give it one more crack, and obviously. Like, I think I really like the idea of obviously helping younger players and helping them get off on a good foot. And so, yeah, just kind of uh, worked out in Albin. The new coach is awesome. So, yeah, I'm pretty excited. You quite clearly, Kira, have the, the travel bug as well. Just looking at some of the countries you've, you've played uh, at the highest level in USA, Canada, Denmark, Norway, Australia, Ireland. Like, it's the United Nations, essentially. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. I mean, I never in a million years would have guessed I would have gone all those places. But yeah, I, I was very lucky. I had a really great career. And um, yeah, I mean, I think you learn something every place you go and every country is different. And um, yeah, I, I definitely was very lucky with the places I've gotten to go and the things I've gotten to see. So, I suppose at your stage of your career, you know, as you say, Treaty United struggled last year. So is there an element of taking on a, a new kind of challenge, you know, a, a club that that had a bad year and, and it gives you an experience as, as, as one of the, the top players to, to do something about it and to kind of take the club back to where they want to be. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, like, obviously, I was really lucky to get a chance. I'm Canadian, obviously. <laughs> Whenever I, people comes out that I played for Ireland, people are always a little confused that I lack an accent <laughs> or whatever. But, um, yeah, I mean, I've always... I, I mean, my two biggest passions are helping. Like, I, I really do want to be a part of growing the game in Ireland, obviously giving back to the opportunity I got. And then obviously with Canadian girls, like helping them as well. And so it kind of, yeah, it's like a nice merge. And then I think also I'm always someone that like as a player even was a bit of an underdog. And I like I like situations coming in. Um, yeah, and even in the situation that Treaty's in. And I like a challenge and I like to be a part of like, you know, growing and building things. So I, I think all things considered it kind of, yeah, it checks a lot of boxes. Do you want to be a coach? Is that also part of your future? Um, I I enjoy coaching for sure. Um, I I did my UEFA B actually in Ireland. Um, God, like ten years ago now. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I think 
coaching is something I enjoy? Is it like something that I want to make a prime focus in my life? I'm not sure. I've sort of done a lot of different things um, since I retired. So um, yeah, I'm kind of, to be honest, it's kind of like the first time that I'm like heavily dipping my foot back into the soccer scene, so to speak. So I'll just sort of see how it goes. And it definitely could be something in the future. Um, but yeah, it's definitely not something that I'm like set on doing either. It's amazing how, how um, the game has moved on as well, and there seem to be a lot more female coaches getting involved. Like I was reading as well, even when you did that UFAB license, uh, Kira in Dublin, what was it forty odd people doing the course, and you were the only woman on, on the course? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was. Um, and to be honest, it was an incredible experience. But I'll never forget. Like I didn't really. I was really busy at the time, and the night before I got on the flight, I like checked through the email list, and like as I got to like the third line, started almost getting a panic, like not seeing any female names, <laughs> and then. Anyways, and then like rocking into, I can't even remember the, I think Bewley's or one of the hotels by the airport and like just walking into a lobby full of men and, you know, whatever, being the only female there. Um, yeah, it's, it's you know, it's the game and coaching, all of it's changed so much in the last 10 years. But um, yeah, it was, it, to be honest, it was actually a really, really positive, awesome experience. I met a lot of amazing people that have gone on to do tons of great things. And um, yeah, it was, it was really I actually, funny story, I didn't actually know, I didn't really follow the men's premiership at the time. And um, I guess I didn't know, but Mila Yednak, who I think was Australia's captain, was uh, in the course and I, I had no idea who he was. And I, um, yeah, that night, the guy, the, after the first night, the guys were all excited that there was premiership guys in the in the course. And anyways, I played with Mila that day and like thought he was pretty good. <laughs> anyways, and everyone got a pretty good kick out of the fact that like, yeah, when I said, oh, yeah, like I played with Mila today, I thought he was pretty good. And they're like, here he's the captain of Australia and Crystal Palace. Like, I think he's a little more than pretty good. But anyways, yeah, so it was a really cool experience to get a just mix in with like guys that were super supportive and obviously a lot of amazing players there, too. Is that how you ended up in Oz? The Yednak influence? What's, uh, to be honest, that um, like kind of being around those guys, I was kind of at the tail end and a bit burnt out at that point with soccer. And I, it actually really did was like a big shot in the arm for me. And actually I did go on and play in Australia. It was kind of a fluke that it ended up that like, you know, Amelia Neck was at the, at the course. And then that's the country I went to right after. But um, yeah, no, just being around like those players and just like, just seeing how well they did things. And like, I don't know, it was kind of the same thing where I'm like, I think I've got a little bit of like juice left in the tank and I'm going to go for it. So yeah. Your your story is is quite um, inspiring. I think is a is a is a word to use, Kira, because when you read about kids who, you know, I think about someone like Peter Canavan in Irish Gaelic football who was told he was too small and would never make it in the, in, in in the game. Even from your perspective, like you know, not getting picked for teams as, as a youngster, and I know you got the scholarship to Yale, um, but you know, even when you get the scholarship, not getting picked for games with Yale University, and yet you never gave up. There's 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 a lesson in that in that I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, um, yeah, I definitely was a player that, like, I don't know, just was kind of, like, almost, like, the, you want to call it, like, the muscle of resilience, I guess. I sort of, um, from, like, right at the beginning, to be honest, when I was, like, 13, I was the last pick for, like, the team I got on. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I think, with you know, some things we're naturally good at and naturally um, you know, just kind of are able to, you know, very easily kind of do and other things come a little bit harder. And I think for me, yeah, soccer was always something that I had to kind of just keep fight and get better. And then, you know, like not make a team or sit on a bench and then just like keep working. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's like been like a great life lesson as well. And 
just learned a lot about sort of controlling your own destiny and and like deciding yourself how far you want to go and yeah, just like a lot of a lot of really good life lessons. I think for me, not having really a very linear career in terms of how it's all gone, but um, yeah. So I mean, like this kind of is like the is like almost like a perfect cherry on top to all of like a not a very conventional career the whole way through. I think it's fair to say that muscle of resilience that you talk about. I know you've spoken um, quite openly as well in interviews in the past about your your mother's battle with with multiple sclerosis. Um, I mean, the muscle of resilience, you know, you must have taken so many lessons and, and continue to take lessons from, from someone like that, uh, such a huge part of your life and someone who's, who's shown so much fight. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's the biggest thing. Like when you have somebody in your house that, you know, can't, you know, get around or it's a, everything's a struggle and she does it with like a super positive attitude. So I think, you know, if you're not getting selected for a team or, you know, I think from a very young age, I had a lot of perspective in terms of just what actual disappointment and hard things were, you know? So I think it kind of made me maybe have things in perspective and just kind of, yeah, just see somebody that was like, obviously very close to me that still is close to me that, um, yeah, that's always had a struggle herself. So it's sort of, yeah, it was kind of a, like I said, it put things in perspective. Like you can't get that upset over like not getting picked or, you know, like I said, when, when I come home and watch my mom, you know, like struggling to, I don't know, just even for her trying to keep her body like going and stuff. So, um, yeah, I, 100% that was a huge um, influence for me in terms of having a great example, really, like uh, to put all of it in perspective. Uh, we've obviously just uh, qualified for the World Cup for the first time in our history. Is it a coincidence that you're suddenly reminding the Ireland selectors of your availability by jetting back to Ireland and going, hey, look at me? <laughs> No, I I mean, that's definitely, I mean, it's an amazing accomplishment and I think it's incredible that the, yeah, I mean, I think it's unbelievable that they made it. And and I mean, I, I just even to see all the, like how they stood up five years ago or whenever it was with the whole thing with the, you know, I, I was definitely changed in the toilets into my Ireland tracksuit. Um, so I just think it's an amazing accomplishment. The young players that they have are incredible. Um, Vera's obviously done an amazing job with the team. But um, no, I'd say it's purely coincidental from like a timing perspective, for sure. We've got Canada in the group as well. Um, how are we going to get on against them? Um, I mean... They're a very talented team for sure. And there's a lot of really young, exciting players. But I just think that, I mean, the fact that Ireland's beaten some very, you know, legitimate teams over the last 18 months. And and I mean, I think they're the kind of team with the kind of, you know, just ability that I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't put it past them to pull an upset like they're capable of it. So um, yeah, it'll be, I mean, it'll be a fun group, obviously, also with Australia in the group. Like I'm familiar with them probably more than other teams as well. So it'll be a, I'm actually probably going to be in Australia. I'm going to um, speaking at a conference there while it's going on. So I'm hoping to catch some games. That's a good, that is a good uh, coincidence of, <laughs> of timing for sure. Um, I, just, we get criticised sometimes in this show for getting uh, overly excited about young talent coming through, but it feels like legitimately this is a, a good Ireland team that we should be getting excited about that's just qualified for a World Cup and that has the nucleus of a good squad of players. I'm not quite sure whether or not the talent coming through in the, the next generations, if we're ready to build on it, um, and I hope we are. But are we right to get quali- carried away? It's a World Cup year, Ireland going. We're not, we've, we've got a little bit of a chance of pulling off some upsets. We should be getting carried away, right? I mean, I, I think I, I mean, I'm a big believer of like, believe anything's possible. And I mean, I think, I mean, there's incredible veterans on the team, like Neve Fahi and Louise Quinn um, I, and Diane Caldwell and Anya and lots of them that, 
um, were, you know, young players when I was there that are amazing. And then obviously like Denise O'Sullivan and like, there's some seriously like world-class talent on the team. So yeah, I mean, I, I think that they've got as good of a shot as anybody. And, and I think you just, you never know in those sorts of environments and, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, 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 it's exciting. And actually something that really cool that happened last week was I was, um, I'm over in Thailand and I just started talking to an Irish guy who's not like any way affiliated with soccer. And he brought up that they've qualified for the world cup and referred to Vera Powell as Vera, which I thought was like very cool that like women's soccer in Ireland is so mainstream now that like just a random Irish guy is like referring to the national team manager by her first name. So yeah, I mean, I think there's like great excitement and buzz from what I can see. And, and um, yeah, I mean, I, I think they're capable of pulling off upsets for sure. So yeah, I say for sure, get excited about it. There's plenty of room in that bandwagon. Kira, great stuff. Enjoy your time in Treaty. Thanks a million. Thanks so much. It's uh, Kira McCormick there who has signed for Treaty United in the National League. Now it is 10 minutes past nine. OTBAM is live each morning with Gillette Labs for an effortless finish today. Here's what's on OTB Sports Radio for you today. OTB Gold at one o'clock is Michael Conlon uh, after his exit in Rio. Uh, Splunk, it's uh, live from three. State of the Union with Keith Wood at four. And OTB Gold at six is Sonia Sullivan. And the show will be live with Joe Malloy from seven tonight. Remember to subscribe to OTB across all our social channels and to the OTB Podcast Network for all the best in the latest sports contest content even. Up next, Graham Hunter will be live to talk about Gianluca Vialli's legacy and the state of affairs in La Liga as the title race heats up in the break. You're going to hear from Shane Walsh who was talking with Ashling after Croke's win at the weekend. It's 13 minutes past nine. I'm delighted to say Graham Hunter is with us. Graham, good morning to you. How are you? Yeah, top, yeah. Uh, still buzzing after a hot weekend of La Liga football. Um, I, I want to maybe wreck the buzz a little bit by asking about Gianluca Vialli because um, obviously the news came uh, at the weekend of his, his passing and he'd been sick for a while. We did get that iconic image of himself and Roberto Mancini in tears at the end of uh, their Euros victory and it just felt like um, it felt like uh, there's something special in that moment where here's a footballer who's won everything, who's been like the best footballer in the world, the most expensive transfer, and at the end of it, it comes down, it comes down to friendship and love of the game and um, an emotional release. So that was that was the one that I remembered the most over the course of the weekend, not the playing days and and um, you know all the glamour and the glory and all that all that stuff. It was actually it was just a moment that he shared with a mate on a pitch where it was just the two of them, even though the whole world was watching. Um, I know for you, it was a, a personal relationship that you had with them over a long period of time. Yeah, I can't much. I mean, I agree with everything you've said there, particularly because football fractures loyalty, fractures friendship. Um, football tells great stories, great human stories, not just great sporting drama. But to see them scratch the one itch that for both of them was the thing that they lacked most to, to, to take the Atsuri to a trophy. It was fantastic and it coincided with a period when Luca, at least for the first time, had seemed to have superseded cancer. When you talk about a personal relationship, that's true. I feel like I lost, let's call it a friend because we were close. We were able to talk all the time. He helped me repeatedly throughout the years. I'd known him for 27 years and again and again, when I said, can we do this? Can we do that? Can we do the next thing? He would say, yes. He helped me an awful lot. Funny, warm. Um, I was twice in his home. It dated back to being sent out by an editor to, to Turin in 1995 to try and explain a little bit about the rise and rise of Juventus, how they trained, why they were so 
fit and relentless, why it was possible. It seems ridiculous now. But when uh, Lippi reintroduced the Tridenti three up front, in those days, it, it was still the case. People thought, this is mad. This is you, you, three up front, three in midfield. That's impossible. Not only did they do it, it looked beautiful. That was pressing. They were relentless in the running, whether it was Ravanelli and Lombardo or uh, Viali, Parvan. There was a number of different footballers who could slot into the three. And when I went to Turin, to meet him for the first time, Juve were training in their old Comunale Stadium, which had been their infamous stadium of the last 40, 50 years, and playing in the Delhi Alpi. And I was granted access to the club for two, three days. And the first interview I did was at the end of a double training session day. I, again, I know I'm using phrases that now become commonplace, but at that stage, for a Brit, a young uh, guy brought up in British football, to see double training, to see the players staying at the club, having a siesta and, and food in between two training sessions, one at 10, the other one at six, was an eye-opener. And to be told that I had access to, to speak to, to a translator, Ventroni, the fitness trainer who recently died, um, who was at Spurs until the end of his life. Um, I, I was given so much access, but what it needed was um, for, for the journalism to work, was for one of the players to, to sit and explain and, and talk about what the sacrifice felt like, what the training was for, how it helped them. And Luca Viali was the one who volunteered. He had he had fractured English at that stage. We had a, a woman from the TV station who translated. And it all started because he, in those days, I was wearing a, a three piece pinstripe suit. I don't know why I chose it. It sounds ludicrous now, doesn't it? And so was he. He finished his second training session. He was obviously tired. He came in, sat down in a little dressing room, and he just reached out and he, he felt the fabric. And he was like, Yeah, nice suit, but you're going to have to improve that fabric. <laughs> and I thought, Yeah, we're, we're going to get on. And that suit joke remained a, a thing between us for the rest of our careers. But Again and again, um, when he was the Chelsea manager, he would he would let me uh, ring him up. When he was a Chelsea player, I could be in touch with him, looking for stories, looking for contacts. He, he would take phone calls on the team bus. When he was sacked, I was the first person to go and interview him. It was in his home. I found that a, a, an eye-opening experience. And he just opened up and talked about his pain. But across the years when we did the podcast with him, look at me into his home again. It was elegance personified. This English gentleman feel that coincided with the fact that he was quite a privileged man and when he was brought up in Cremona, we, we, there was a huge elegant waiting room in his house. Plus, a, if it, was, it wasn't a butler, it was a major domo who elegantly glided across the, the carpet. You could lose your shoes in. They were so thick and deep. And yet he, I, I didn't think he he blunted his privilege. He certainly wasn't um, caught up with money. Uh, he tried to do good in outside his career. He was a funny, witty, wry man. There was always, just like there is, the, if you ever watch De Niro's old films, there's always this little crinkly little grin, like he's seeing another movie in his head. And Luca had that as well. He would, he would look at you with a little bit of a mischievous grin in his eye almost all the time. He was funny and warm and I, I really liked him. So we were in contact through his illness and WhatsApping and simply sending him love and support and, and prayers that he got well. And in the end, the fact that he didn't did leave me feeling sad. He's younger than me. What the hell has he gone for at this age? 
brutal cancer again. How many times have we said that brutal? Shouldn't have been smoking throughout his life, admittedly. And one little piece de resistance, when we went up to Sweden to Sven Joran Eriksson's film to do the big interview with him, he talked about um, managing Viali and Mancini, and he talked about their, you know, their again, their pranks, their mischief, how they ran the club. But he talked about how when he flew in to be interviewed for the job, Mantovani, the president of Sampdoria, told him unequivocally that he'd been selected by a committee of Viali and Mancini, who were players at Sampdoria at that stage. And they would go on to win the only title in the club's history. But Mantovani had such respect for his two players, the, the, the gold twins, as they were called in Italian, Mancini and Viali, who you opened talking about, that he went to them, who should be our coach? And they knew sufficiently about football in those days, in the 80s, without internet. They, it should be Ericsson. This should be our man. They selected him. And he said, lads, OK, let's get him in. The three of us will interview him. Ericsson got the job and, and fame, fortune and success followed. It's amazing, Graham, to hear the, your personal stories with him because by all accounts he was a beautiful human being as well as a, a brilliant footballer. Um, it's funny, like I was watching telly at the weekend, and <clears throat> the late comedian Sean Locke popped up on screen on one of those uh, one of those chat shows, and then straight away afterwards, I flicked over the sky, and you see the the old goals of of Viali and some great moments from his career, and you're thinking, uh, albeit it's t- a difficult thing to think about now, but those goals and highlights from his career are a tangible legacy and thing to hold on to, and um, might not be much consolation for his family and friends, I'm sure, at this uh, point in time, but um, a, a beautiful thing to have left. You, 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 you've, you've linked it nicely because uh, Sean Locke was obviously a big Chelsea fan. Mm. Luca was the major guy for him, and he, Sean was represented is was represented by um, the same guy as that reps off the curb that represents Kevin Bridges. And there was a point at which I was supposed to have a Kevin Bridges interview, and it couldn't happen for various reasons. Like, Listen, I have, I have one of our other clients. My first choice was Sean Locke, and unfortunately, he was unwell at the time, and it it proved again, as you say, to be to be terminal. And when you talk about Lucas goals again, like I was, I loved him, I adored him, and he was he was good to me, not just professionally. It 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 was a it was a it was a, it was a big human experience to watch him and to listen to him. But we mustn't even when people depart, we we mustn't call them angels. He was very, very demanding and because he was so demanding of himself. Initially, when he became coach at Chelsea, one of the reasons that after a flurry of trophies, if you just look at the percentage amount of trophies versus days he was in charge, extraordinary. But he was so demanding in training that he burned a few friendships because it was he, he hadn't quite initially, I mean, taken over in the middle of his career from Rutulet. He, he hadn't learned how to leaven his approach to other players who maybe needed a different touch, a different attitude and training compared to his. And again, I'm not going to make him seem angelic. Joe DeMorris talked about, you know, I kind of eulogised Viale at that stage. And Joe DeMorris, who was his teammate, talked about like the the mad experience of having this Italian man sharing a room when they were either on tour or um, in (laughs) pre-season. Luke, a fucking room service not wearing a stick, sitting in this shared room, smoking away and ordering burgers. So it's not my purpose here. And, and throughout the, the tributes, this, these phrases about how warm and intelligent and kind and occasionally gentle a human being he was, those echoed out because they're true. 
But none of us should be sitting and saying that those were the only sides of uh, Gianluca Vialli. And also, to me, he was he was elegant. And he's definitely my favourite Italian footballer of all time. And if you think about the, the range of skills that that encompasses in other footballers, that's, that's saying a lot. But to me, he was archetypal of, those images you're talking about, archetypal of the old style number nine who, who work a defender. And you, if you were watching a Luca Vialli performance, you knew you were going to be watching intelligence on the pitch because whether it was his day, whether his team won or whether he scored or not, central defenders were going to be put to the test about how, how fit they were, how smart they were. And he was always scheming and thinking about how to help the team, very much team man. And I remember when he was sacked by Chelsea, the, the, it wasn't just um, sore to his professional pride. He felt that because he'd been totally up front with them, he felt badly let down by them. And he referred to the man who sacked him as Mr. Nice Guy. Colin Hutchinson was the MD at the time. Again, somebody I was very friendly with. But it was strange for a guy who'd, who'd been a powerhouse at the top for Juventus, for the Azzurri, for Sam, for Chelsea. In other words, he, he'd survived in a, in a shark-infested swimming pool for a long time. But he was genuinely hurt because he felt that he hadn't been subject to fair play. A strange thing that was to, to witness and, and and to get rid of his anger, he had to take up kickboxing in his garage. <laughs> what a man. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think the, there's definitely a legacy there, particularly in English football, because... Um, like when, when Chelsea signed Hollard, it seemed like a bit of an outlier. But when they added Viali to it, it was like, oh, actually, something something has changed here. This is uh, it wasn't just a fluke that they managed to get Hullet. Like, uh, and it feels yeah. like that's a kind of hinge moment for Chelsea becoming the glamour club or re-becoming it, it, the glamour club. It, it was because he was still at that um, stage where he was coming towards. Um, the end of his career. He was out of contract. Again, to my mind, it, it linked very strangely because, you know, earlier that year I'd been in, in John Mark Bosman's parents' flat interviewing Bosman when the judgment came in from the European courts that he was going to win his case. And by the end of that season, Gianluca Fiali uh, left for free. So he was amongst the earliest to be able to go at end of contract and, and choose Chelsea over Rangers. Um, because it had been Rangers that Juventus had defeated so thoroughly that caused my editor to say, go and study why is it they're doing this, why are they playing it? And Walter Smith was sadly departed now too. Walter Smith was the head of the game. He was negotiating via a Scottish agent, Athol Still, to try and persuade Luca Vialli to come to Ibrox at the end of the season instead of going to Chelsea. Now, in retrospect with what was happening at Chelsea, it seems obvious that Luca would choose that, but he, he talked to me about how um, how he'd found a like mind, a like soul in Walter, because Walter was a gigantic character um, who loved uh, good food, fine wine, who loved Italy, Italian fashion, rock music. And Viali and Walter Smith found real friendship and a, and a real connection. So even if it sounds ludicrous, I think it did quite well to, to wrench his, I mean, the, the Premier League and the chance to play in Europe with Chelsea, all of that. Those were attractions enough in themselves, and he had a he had a bumpy relationship with Hullet. So it, it wasn't simply that they'd worked together before that, that attracted Luca Vialli. The idea about London life, you know, still swinging London for him then was really really big, and I think he was iconic in terms of the way in which the Premier League was was becoming then 
the number one brand in the world. And, and those images that you talked about, Shane, when they were pumped out around the world, and it, it was still a time when the impact of having Schmeichel and Bergkamp and Zola and Di Canio and Gianluca Vialli in the Premier League was was doing enormous things for their brand. For, I think we talked about brands less. And I think the clubs perhaps were not that interested in what they were doing for the Premier League brand itself. But Gianluca Vialli doesn't just imprint on our mind because of his, his wit as a footballer or because he was iconic in a Chelsea era when, you know, everything seemed to be happening um, in terms of, like, the, the stadium problem was gone and the, the, the footballers were attractive and multinational. It, the, he did a big thing for the Premier League in choosing London and choosing Chelsea. And I think he is iconic and... All I would say, um, there are many, many, many thousands of people who've lost much more in losing Luca Vialli, but I felt like I lost somebody who'd been really hugely important in my life, friendly, kind, who taught me things, who'd given me access. One of the last things he did um, after that, uh, for me after that Euro Championship uh, that you were talking about was was recommend to Mancini to, to come on the podcast. He said, no problem at all. I'd love to, I'd love to listen to him talk to you. I just uh, a generous, kind man, and in, in an all sport, I think when you get people who are ruthless winners, to find as well that they can be thoughtful and kind, and and maybe a little bit just like us, I think it reinforces our love for them. Yeah, hundred um, percent, Graham. That was lovely. Thanks very much for that. I, I do want to just ask you one last question about the um, the situation at Barcelona, where it seems as if Xavi's got a grip of everything, and actually. Um, you know, because at the end of last season, it started well, and then at the end of last season, there was a bit of a tail off, and people were like, ooh, what's going to happen here? But he's had his preseason, he's had his World Cup extra preseason, and um, a tricky game against Atletico away from home. They win that, and all of a sudden, confidence courses through. Am I, am I reading too much into this? It's a, it's a monster, monster uh, result and, and game. It was, it was just fabulous. It had everything that you want from La Liga. With lots of elements that you might see in the Bundesliga and the Premier League too, because it was frantic, it was end to end, it was so intense physically and mentally that several players were absolutely dropping by the end. There were chances galore, and therefore to draw back a little bit and 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 say, look, let's take some micro from the macro. Yeah, things look definitely better because Javi's players are, are performing for him, working hard for him. But there's a there's a, a a bigger picture to, to talk about. The top of La Liga, uh, Real Madrid threw away the chance to to, to test Barcelona again because they lost at Villarreal on Saturday. But if you look at the way in which uh, a pretty strong Barcelona side went to a tiny little club, Intercity and Alicante, in the cup during the week, the 3-3 draw at full time, they won an extra time. Fine, you're through. That's what the cup's about. They conceded three times. They conceded two per game in the Champions League and were knocked out and are back in the Europa League. And if you want, it's now's not the day. I know you don't have the time, but if you want to put magnifying glass on some of the positions in, in Chabi's team, there's work to do to improve the type of player there. And yet they can't. They're really now much more manacled and, and hamstrung than they were last summer or last winter market because of financial fair play in Spain. So positive, definitely. It was a, if people didn't watch it, um, I guess it's on Viaplay in Ireland. 
and more fool you. It was absolutely fantastic. It jeopardises Atleti's possibilities of playing in the Champions League next season, having already been eliminated from this tournament this season. It further jeopardises Cholo Simeone's possibility of staying on as coach. I think at the moment his his days are numbered and, and maybe don't go beyond this summer. So a titanic match, hugely entertaining, and things are going well for Xavi, but he has a lot of work to do. A, a semi-final in the Super Cup coming up in Saudi Arabia this Wednesday against Betis with a really tired squad. So before I join in and get Xavi's time at Barcelona 2 built up, let's, let's talk again after the semi-final on Wednesday and then then through the final against Real Madrid on, on Sunday. And then, then you'll want to talk to me again and let's see how they've done. All right, looking forward to it. Graham, great stuff. Thanks a million. Cheers. Cheers, lads. That's a great moment there. Always brilliant. OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. I'm going to be over actually I've booked a trip with my brother and dad to United Barcelona second leg oh, yeah. Europa League which is 23rd we're actually doing it we're staying until the Sunday for the Brentford game in the Premier League as well doing a double head we kind of did it last year where you have a couple of days in between and we went to the Peak District which was lovely we're doing the Lake District this year alright but it's nice I think it's you know to go over and kill the two birds but that Barcelona game um, especially when it's a second leg there's a lot riding on that um, I think it could be well well set up if United keep winning and Barcelona keep winning all of a sudden, you're on the you're on the Ten Hag bandwagon. He's well, a man. I think all United fans are on the bandwagon at the minute because he, he's won every battle he's taken on. He won the Ronaldo battle for for starters. Do you think, not to reopen a can of worms, but that actually he might be he might be able to fix Jaden Sancho? There's another battle that could be the biggest battle he's going to have. Do you think he might be able to fix him? Well, I think he, uh, yeah. you have faith in him, right? To yeah. the point now where like what he's done with Rashford is remarkable. It was. It, I was very interested to hear Ten Hag talk about Sancho last week, where he said. I sent him to the, the, the Netherlands for a reason he did all that individual training in the Netherlands he said he wanted to get him out of the country and just to feel something different and not feel like he was in England and almost claustrophobic uh, and I thought that was a brilliant move uh, look it remains to be seen whether it will pay off but I think if anyone can get Sancho back to where Sancho needs to be it's probably Ten Hag I think United fans trust him at the moment and look the draws are going nicely as well charting the League Cup uh, Reading in the, the FA Cup I mean it's the almost if the hot balls I mean it's all going for them at the moment but uh, yeah I think it's it, the, the league is still a bit bit far off but sure still Fergus Gale says I had a hole in one as a kid I thinned the tee shot and the ball flew over the green heading for the brambles but didn't it hit the top of the flag and drop right into the hole pure skill yeah <laughs> so skillful uh, third it of that, it's third of that on that list I think it does feel as if they are absolutely um, fluky even for the best players in the world that it happens so rarely for the best players in the world mm. That that shouldn't really be in the conversation, and maybe your fifty nine is is the the way to fix that. Possibly, uh, shifty lad says Farrell definitely tackles like a rugby league player. They really go for it. Would it be because initially he was always rugby league? His dad was one tough mf. Um, yes, his dad was tough, and I look forward to his other son playing for Ireland because uh, that seems to be how it goes. Uh, right, that is pretty much our lot today. We'll be back tomorrow morning with fitness guru Sam Mulroy and plenty more. Obviously, uh, talented intercounty footballer as well. OTB. With Gillette, get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.